Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. Well, this is our end-of-month episode. It's the end of July. It's almost the end of July. And so we're here, and this is a time when you get a chance to ask us anything. By anything, I mean anything and everything. Whatever it is we talk, you know, we talk about here, we talk about religion, atheism, agnosticism, secularism, all of that good stuff. But also, if you have other stuff, you know, you know you're going to talk about your favorite food, your favorite music, uh, relationship problems that you're having. Armin and I are very, very, very good at relationship advice. So uh, feel free to ask us. Armin especially is, is extremely good. You know, he's great. I mean, very good. Well, Armin, uh, I, I'm, I'm here with Armin, by the way. I forgot yes, to yes. you. Yeah, it's very early in the morning here. We're separated by 12 hours of uh, time zone. Early in the morning? Isn't it like 8.30 where you are? Yeah, but I don't get up for Fudger anymore. I stopped oh, okay. that a long time ago. Okay. Armin gets up at the crack of dawn to pray. I don't. <laughs> be best, everybody. Hashtag be best. So anyway, uh, welcome. Well, we have somebody and... from Kiev. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, this is great. So... Um, yeah, this is it. This is your chance to ask questions. Uh, but Armin, how have you been? I'm okay. How are you? Are we answering relationship advice? Because I, I'm really, like, I wasn't even joking when I was nodding. I am really good at that. I'm the best at that. I'm the best at that, but the problem is that most people would be offended with my religion. Yeah, you think? Hold yes. On. I mean, I mean, what else is new? So it doesn't matter. I also made Su uh, Soha. I made her an admin on Secular Jardis. I hope you don't mind. She's, yeah. she's also, oh, P is also telling everybody to like and sub. Thank you, P. Yeah, thank you. And so yeah, I like, a, guys, like and subscribe. I have a couple of like uh, quick things uh, that I wanted to tell you guys. Uh, first of all, uh, both Armin and I also have our own, we're, we have our own separate shows and our own separate podcasts. Uh, mm -hmm. Armin's is Atheist Republic, as you all know. It's pretty established. He also has a lot of really, really interesting guests. You've interviewed um, everyone from jihadists to neo-Nazis, so sometimes it gets really interesting. Why did you say that? Do you, we do these live streams so that we could grow on YouTube, and when you use that N-word, then YouTube is like, oops, sorry, no, you don't get to grow here. You don't. Oh. You can't say that N-word. Say neo-evil people from World War II. Say something like that. You can't oh. say that. We get punished. And it's live, so this is it. But anyway, so he interviews all of those people. Um, and, um, and so it's a really great channel. It's really fun to watch. And recently you had a really good interview with Coleman Hughes, actually. Yes. So it was on. It wasn't It wasn't a, just a good interview. It was the best interview Coleman has ever had. And it's not getting the attention that it deserves. Coleman, like, go watch every single interview Coleman has had with anybody. Okay? And then come watch my interview with yeah. him. You don't get, you get more out of that interview than any other interview Coleman has ever done. 
And I'm not even joking right now. It That's is actually. Yes. It, it is. A, it's a really good interview. So you're going to just really go search so had, Atheist uh, Republic Coleman Hughes. Search for that and it will show up. Right. And then also, my, Ali, uh, had, Ali has really, really good guests because he had me on his show. I did. So yes. we had, uh, I have that a, was his best episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a show now called uh, Professional Novice. It's called Professional Novice with Ali Rizvi. So on that, the topics are a little different than here. You know, we talk about pretty much, uh, I usually get people who are um, sort of secular type people on, but we talk about other things. So I had Armin on to talk about working out and staying in shape and diet and all that, which, you know, he's obviously, if you've seen any of his like thirsty photos, those, that's what they call, right? I learned that term recently, the thirsty thing. I don't know what it meant. I don't think you're using it right, but go on. Am I, oh, okay. Well, the, the, but those, so you know, the shirtless photos where you're all muscular and showing your, you look really good. Okay. You do so, I guess. All right, moving on. Okay, <laughs> so you've had him. We've had it. Uh, uh, we talked to a, a pediatrician about death and dying. She was also here, Samir Man, on secular jihadists. Uh, we had Mookie Spitz, who's a strategist, who actually was called by Andrew Yang to advise him, and then later also kind of let go by Andrew Yang. So. He talks about why that happened, and he talks about the 2020 election, gives a really, really interesting sort of uh, view of it from a strategy point of view that you may not have heard before. Um, we had Harris Sultan on to talk about online activism, Mariam Namazi. We've had, uh, you know, so quite a few really interesting guests on Professional Novice as well. So do check those out and do, do subscribe to them. They're all on iTunes and all the other podcast platforms. I haven't had you had me on your show. I haven't had you on Atheist Republic yet. I have, yeah, I have, I haven't come on. You should, you should, we should do that. What should, should I, on, what topic yeah. should I bring you for? Um, I don't know. What do you, whatever you want. Hmm. We've talked about everything. We've talked to each other for hours and hours and hours on this show. See, that's the problem. Uh, the good thing about your channel is that you talk about non-political, non-religious religious things, right? Yeah. So when you had me on your channel, we we had something to talk about that we never just explored on secular jihadists, right? But I want mm -hmm. to bring you on Aces Republic, and almost every topic that I could talk to you about on Aces Republic, we've already talked about it on secular jihadists. Mm -hmm. So I have to think about what is it that I haven't talked to you about that I could bring you on as a guest on Aces Republic. Yeah, think of something. Anything you want to talk to I'll me about, put something. me on the spot. Give me a challenge. Corner me. It'll be fun. Well, I do that every day, and I'll win every single time. So I don't feel that. Uh, you're, not, you're not as good at it as you think you are. Yeah, so. I'm kidding. That, so um, I would ask you that before we get to the questions, there's something recently that happened that's very relevant to what we do. Okay? Um, and this happened in Pakistan. So as you know, that we've had several guests on who've talked about blasphemy in Pakistan. Um, we had uh, Rafia Askiwi. Um, this is the, the woman who was... Uh, who's who was married off to her cousin? Then her cousin, she had a child, and then the child. I mean, uh, the, the child was essentially taken away from her because uh, she was accused of blasphemy, and then she had to come to the U.S. and uh, the child was kept away from her for about eight years, and eventually she fought in court to try and get her back, and now she did. So she told that entire story, which really sums up what how toxic the blasphemy law is in Pakistan. Uh, we also had Shan Tasir. Shant Asir is the son of a, the governor of the largest province in Punjab who was shot by his own bodyguard for showing solidarity 
with Asia Bibi. Asia Bibi was the Christian woman who was accused of blasphemy and in, in jail. So he visited her, visited her in jail, and he spoke out against the blasphemy law. He showed solidarity, and the bodyguard shot her for showing solidarity with somebody accused of blasphemy. And then the bodyguard uh, was celebrated. His funeral, like you know, millions and millions of people came to the murderer's funeral. Uh, so you know, blasphemy is something. Like killing people for blasphemy is very accepted there. So recently, there was another episode in Pakistan, just the last couple of days, uh, where there is a man in a courtroom. Now he belongs yes, to the he be belongs to the Ahmadi Muslim sect. The Ahmadi Muslim sect is they're considered apostates by a lot of the mainstream Muslims, especially in Pakistan. Uh, they're discriminated against by the state itself of Pakistan, mm -hmm. and um, so he was in court. Uh, for something, he was accused of blasphemy, and uh, this one guy uh, just shot him in the courtroom, shot him dead. And there's a video of him just slouched over his chair, dead, and the guy is just going on about it. He's like, "Well, you know, if you don't want me to disrespect the court, ask him not to disrespect our prophet." And you know, he just killed him, and he's being celebrated. He's being supported. People are calling him a hero, not the man who was killed, but the man uh, who murdered him. They're calling him a hero. Uh, there are lawyers um, just scrambling over each other to try and represent him and defend him, the murderer, um, because he protected the Prophet Muhammad's honor. And they're saying that what if they're going to work pro bono without fees? Uh, mm -hmm. So it's actually a just it's a, it's a horrendous situation. And the person that he murdered was obviously an Ahmadi person. So um, it, I wanted to know if you had anything to say about that before we went, because this is big news. It's very relevant to us. It's very very tragic it's terrible yeah. and yeah maybe we could get some of those lawyers that are pro bono wanting to defend this murderer and to bring them on to the show and see what they have to say if there's a, if there's a chance we could reach out to any of them get one of the murderers no the lawyers of the murderer or yeah, someone who defends him yeah that would be interesting i can find out yeah. to yeah. see what they're doing it'd be no, I mean it's it's fine to defend murderers. I mean, as a lawyer, that's your job. But the fact that these people want to do it pro bono because they believe in it, that's kind of like what the you know, that's like disgusting. Um, yeah. But but anyways, let's get to the questions, okay, guys? Send yeah. us more questions. Uh, where is the saying? Is Sufism such as what is this? What can you read this? Bear Berelvis. So um, in Pakistan, worse than Salafis. Yeah, so the Barelvis are this uh, are this sort of Sunni group. It's a major sect in uh, Pakistan and uh, India, right? And apparently, uh, like most people there, are are Barelvis, the the Sunni thing. Um, Sufism as a whole is extremely dangerous. I don't know if you want if people want me to get into why I think that. Yeah, so we can we can talk about that. I I think that they're very different. Um, so what Borelvis are, is it's a sort of a syncretic um, a sect of uh, religion where, you know, these people, they have a combination of the influences of Islam that came to the Indian subcontinent. So the Indian subcontinent has a tradition of Sufism and mysticism, and also has a tradition of Arab conquest and the more traditional Sunni Islam. So this is more of a, a um, uh, it's a sort of a mixture of both. So there are many Sunni people who also uh, have a lot of respect for the Sufi saints. Um, so sometimes- Are you, you know, shorter you know, answers? Huh? Shorter no, answers. I'm explaining what the Barelvis are for the people who don't know. 
Um, so that's my understanding of it. I don't know that much about uh, the details of it, but yeah, there is. So there is some overlap, uh, but the question is, are, is a Sufism such as Baralvi's and Pakistan worse than Salafis? Yeah, the, the, technically, if you look at it from a, 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 I guess from an overall view, the Salafis are worse because Salafis are more, you know, they're more fundamentalist. They're like the ones that you see in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're the ones who believe in... I think uh, as a total, if you want to compare it as total damage rather than per capita mm -hmm. of the Muslims who believe in it, I don't know about these Berelvis, but Sufis, if you were comparing Sufism as a whole with Salafis, I would say Sufism has been more damaging. That's right. Yes. Uh, well, well oh, yeah. Sufism, you say it's... Ha ha wait, wait, wait. Are you saying Sufism has been more damaging? Yes. In what way? Well, I mean, as a historically, um, the the fact that it has been more widespread, and the fact that Sufi the Sufi ideology is responsible for um, ending the golden age of Arabs during that Basid areas, like the diversion of the of the minds of you know Arabs and Persians away from uh, focusing on rational thinking. And focusing on the scientific method um, towards revelation, towards faith, towards religious thinking um, against the philosophers, against the scientists, right? Um, I mean, the Arab and the Persian world was almost going through an age of enlightenment. This is what our show is trying to do. Like it's called the, the, the full title of our show is Secular Jihadists for the Muslim Enlightenment, right? The Muslim Enlightenment almost happened if it wasn't like the Age of Enlightenment that happened in Western Europe was almost going to happen if it wasn't for people like Ghazali and yeah. the other Sufis who stopped it. So the ramifications of that through history um, as a whole and the cost associated with that as a whole, I think it's much bigger than, um, you know, some jihadis. And some recent, more some more recent fundamentalist, yeah. radical movements here. So, there. so what you're saying is that Sufis kind of made the um, the mythological aspect of it more palatable in a way right. by making it all about peace and love and everything. So it made but it. But they more also aggressively went after logic, reason, scientific thinking. And going I mean, Ghazali's, the Ghazali's book specifically was. Um, named the problem with philosophy, the problem with the philosophers. I think that was what it was called. Like, she, he was argue, he was like, not even hiding it. Like, he was against rational thinking, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Against the people that were using logic as a as a weapon, right? I know. Yeah. So no, I I actually agree with you. I mean, I've I've always said, and we've both actually said here that we think that the worst thing about um, Islam <clears throat> itself is not really the terrorists and the bombs and everything like that. That's just the, those are just the twigs on the tree. I mean, the actual roots of it are what it shares with all of the other religions, which is um, essentially an assault on critical thinking and assault on the scientific method, uh, looking for alternative ways, trying to get to quote unquote the truth, um, you know, oh. th that are not based on objective evidence and that are not based on scientific inquiry. So, we have a celebrity in the live chat, and he's correcting me on the name of the this book that I mentioned. Huh? See, this time is great in that sense that even though I'm groggy, we get uh -huh. video vids 
Yes, we need to. If we get video vids come joining us at this time, we need to do more shows at this time. Yeah, he's saying the incoherence of philosophy. That's the incoherence. That's the book, the incoherence, incoherence of philosophy. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Elite. Well, guys, everybody, check out Elite's channel. It's one of the funniest ex-Muslim channel that is out there. Actually, it's the only funny. Yeah, if you want comedy and and you know mixed with your anti-Islam. Uh, activism then check out video wids yeah. best channel yeah amazing go check it out but okay um, <laughs> okay, wow. so here's Hum. a question from ronnie xd I'm gonna say I heard, huh? that's his name his name is shubham shubham is saying yeah i heard that some people destroyed an old buddha statue in pakistan after they discovered it in a construction site because it was un-islamic um mm. yeah and that's not the first time actually so Islam generally has this thing against idolatry, idolatry because they they you know they're against polytheism, they're against you know making idols of gods, making images of revered figures. So as you know, that you cannot make pictures of Muhammad, you cannot make statues of Muhammad, because uh, there is an idea that if you do that, you start venerating these statues and these images, and you move away from God, which is this you know unseen sort of entity and superpower. So. Um, so the Buddha statues, remember the Taliban, when they first took over Afghanistan, they also uh, broke down a lot of really ancient old Buddha statues. Uh, so, you know, the bringing down of statues is, is not a new thing. And it's pretty expected that uh, in a, an Islamic country, people who are especially adherent to Islam and Islamic, you know, theology, and they believe in that, are going to go ahead and break down these statues. If it was a statue of Krishna or anything like that, they would have done it as well. Um, yeah, so th this is something that's quite classic and expected. Ooh, this is a very important question. GB yeah. saying, which is wor worse, a theocratic democracy or a secular dictatorship? Yeah, that's like a very Turkey, like Okay, so a theocratic yeah. democracy like Pakistan or a secular dictatorship like Turkey and under Ataturk. Um, okay, so it's really Yeah, I want to hear what you say on this first. I don't think it's fair to come up with example countries because sometimes if I say, for example, par uh, Pakistan um, right now is worse than Turkey under Ataturk, it might not be, it might be for multiple reasons other than just, um, the fact that one of them was a theocratic democracy and the other one was a secular dictatorship, right? So comparing the examples you're giving might, might not capture what you're asking because there's multiple variables. But if you didn't, if if everything else was equal, which is not with Pakistan and Turkey and Ataturk, uh, I would always choose democracy over dictatorship. Mm -hmm. um, and this, when you say theocratic democracy, you mean it must be a true democracy. It can't be like a democracy like Iran, right? Because like not a, like a fake pretend democracy. But if people choose like a, a true democracy, a true theocratic democracy actually is a self-contradiction because a theocracy doesn't allow the rule of the people. So I think, you, can, you know, a theocracy means rule by... God, the laws of God are in the laws of people, not chosen by people. So I think what you mean a religious democracy where people are choosing a religious rule, even though technically that's self-contradiction with the religion, democracy would be a contradiction with the religion. Let's say they are um, either hypocrites or unaware enough 
that they choose democracy, but they choose a form of democracy that the officials elect, come up with rules based on religious rules. So let's compare a religious democracy to compare it to a secular dictatorship. Even though if people are choosing wrong under a democracy, they're choosing religious to be ruled by religious laws. I don't think. I don't think it, there's not much that would justify we forcing, um, forcing a, a, another way of life on people. And okay, so actually both of these are a contradiction because it's a theocratic democracy is a contradiction because you're saying rule by God versus rule by people. Um, and a secular dictatorship is also uh, somewhat um, contradictory, okay? Because this is where I think like the whole idea of secularism was not something that Ataturk or Reza Shah were doing based on our current understanding of secularism. Because our current understanding of secularism is that the government stays out of people's religious belief and practices. But what Ataturk and Reza Shah were doing, they were actively in, enforcing laws that in, in that didn't let people practice their religion, even in, you know, I mean, not always, but in many cases, actively going against people's uh, freedom to practice their religion, right? So secularism, at least when it comes to secularism, the dictatorship could not, uh, will contradict that secularism. But if you're saying they're secular in the sense that they're not, uh, you know, only when it comes to people's religion or lack of religion, the government is, stay is staying out of it. But with regards to everything else, the government is being a dictator. Then again, I prefer a democracy always over mm -hmm. any form of dictatorship. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that with democracy, the process actually allows for changes in a way that uh, you could potentially uh, ultimately you know, work towards uh, moving away from theocracy. You have the process and you have the resources available not always in a great way because not all democracies are the same not all democracies are great and perfect and you know some of them are restrictive but a secular dictatorship another problem is through history we've seen that whenever you have a secular dictatorship um especially in muslim majority countries the you opposition to it mm. sorry what happened no you're right it yeah, goes yeah. back the yeah, the, the, yeah the opposition to it uh, the only organized opposition to it in Muslim majority countries ends up being an Islamist or a political Islamic opposition. So we saw this in Iran, you know, you had the Shah of Iran, secular dictatorship, you know, the revolution came up. Yes, it was multifaceted, you know, with a whole bunch of different groups, but ultimately the Islamic theocratic elements won out. Uh, you saw that in Egypt when Mubarak came down, a secular dictator, um, when he was brought down, the first election that they had after that, the, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, Won sixty percent of the vote, and Mohammed Morsi came into power. Turkey as well. Look at what's happening to Turkey now. Exactly. Look at what's happening to Turkey right now. And Turkey was thought of as the you know the one sort of haven, the Muslim majority country that was a parliamentary democracy was considered to be part of Europe, you know, by many people. And the, and now, if you look at it, it's going is becoming more and more theocratic, and it's getting worse and worse. A very different picture than what it was. So, um, the, the forcing any kind of ideology, even a secular ideology, especially secular ideology can actually bring about a, a really bad results. And you're seeing it happen in Syria and Libya as well. The exception would be probably Tunisia, um, which is 
a, a little different, but you know, exceptions happen. It's not the general rule, though. So, so actually, uh, you make and you make a very good point because with um, religious democracy, um, what you have the opportunity is to replicate what happened in Western Europe when, with, with the Age of Enlightenment, right? So, yeah. the difference between what Ataturk and Reza Shah did and what happened in Western Europe when they had their Age of Enlightenment is that the age of you know they in western europe it was a bottom-up approach where the opinions of the people changed and eventually that led into politics and the way that people de demanded that they were governed what Ataturk and Reza Shah were doing they were looking at europe and seeing all the progress and they wanted to force that on people without doing the groundwork of making people want that right so doing the groundwork and making people change people's opinions so that they elect something to that they choose something like that for themselves is pos is more possible through democracy rather than any authoritarian regime. So, right. and that's what we're trying to do. We you know we're trying to replicate the age of enlightenment of in Western Europe, in you know in the Muslim community. So, yeah. Yeah. I have a trivia question for people. No, no, the only state in the world, the only country in the world ever that has a history of having atheism as a state religion as a state religion, whether it was a state belief and nobody was allowed to practice religion at all, like officially made atheism, the state religion. Do you know what that is? Wait, sorry again? The only, the only country ever to have atheism and oh. forced atheism. Oh, it was the European country. Wait, no. Albania? Albania, you're right. Yeah. Oh, it's yes? A, a, yeah! Yes. So, uh, yeah, the guy was Hoxha at something, that I forgot his first name. Hoxha, this guy uh, in 1967 made Albania an officially an atheist state where atheism was forced on everybody and it was a Muslim majority country. So <laughs> the only the only country that's ever had enforced state atheism has been a Muslim majority country. So I'm so impressed with myself forced. right now. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let, read this next. Um, the next question is from P. It's just a letter P. Uh, uh, two questions actually here. So let's take them one by one. They're both quite different. So the first one is any comments about the ongoing efforts for the COVID-19 vaccines? Um, well, I, I think it's obvious. It's great that they're working on COVID-19 vaccines. It is, you cannot reopen anything without some level of risk, uh, without having the safety net of a vaccine. The good thing is that there are multiple companies working on vaccines are showing good results. Um, the downside is that vaccines take time to develop. So there's a very lengthy process in which you have to do several trials for any kind of medication, any kind of treatment. Um, you know, the phase one, phase two, phase three, you do these trials and they have to be approved eventually. So they are fast tracking this all over the world. Um, there's uh, the Trump administration has something called Operation Warp Speed, where they're providing a lot of funding to get these vaccines done uh, private. Um, people are funding it too, like Bill Gates is funding efforts for the for the COVID nineteen vaccine. So hopefully, it's going to happen soon. But the let's answer faster because the questions yeah. are growing faster than but, our answers. Yeah, but once you do have a vaccine, but this is obviously this is important. So I just want to make sure we get the details in. But once you do have the vaccine, then after that you have to mass produce it, and you have to uh, you know make way for distribution to you know masses, huge masses, hundreds of millions of people at a time. So. Uh, you know, they're saying that, you know, the vaccine, you might have a vaccine by December, maybe, but that it's not going to be ready for mass administration until at least, you know, maybe the spring 
of okay. 2021, and that's being optimistic. So, Ali, but going forward, let's do let's try to answer a little bit faster. Sure. Okay. Second question is, what do you think will be the Achilles heel for the woke and cancel mob culture? Um, I think those things are already happening, and we recently had an episode about this. Uh, the, our last episode was called "Liberal versus Woke." We talked. I'm about hoping it. if Trump loses, that will take the wind out of the sail of a lot of these woke movements because they don't have they, for these movements to grow. They need a big, bag, giant boogeyman to scare people into yes. thinking like you need them. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm not predicting this. I don't know, but I'm hoping if you take the Trump element out of that, Biden is not going to be as scary enough like they're gonna what they're gonna try to do is like tell you like oh no biden is just as bad biden is horrible he's not doing this he just says something racist oh he's the same as trump they're gonna say stuff like that but it's not gonna work it's not gonna be as scary as trump right. and yeah so they're gonna lose a lot of steam hopefully what's gonna give them another shot you know a lot of like uh, uh, more energy is another shooting um which is definitely gonna happen unfortunately given you know the number of times that police comes in contact with black people in the United States, uh, no matter how much you reduce the numbers and how much improvements you make, there's going to be another person recording um, a cop um, killing an unarmed black person. And that is, I, I, can't, I can't imagine that there are a lot of them are waiting for that because they needed to uh, continue being relevant. So yeah. that is what that's, yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think that, but if you have someone like Biden in power, he would openly denounce it. He'll probably come out and say Black Lives Matter in public. And right. that, that will take the wind out of their sail. If you yeah. want the woke thing to die down, yeah. you have to remove the boogeyman. You really do. Right. And that is Trump because that legitimizes it. You know, you know how bin Laden and originally Osama bin Laden, when he established Al Qaeda, he just wanted to um, get the Americans out of the Arab Peninsula. He wanted to get them out of Saudi Arabia, the Holy Land. That was his, the thing. But then he started, when opposition against the U.S. increased, he started talking about the Palestine issue, he started talking about the Kashmir issue and all of these other things. And he started getting people, mainstream people, to support his cause. And that's kind of what's happening in a way. I mean, there's no comparing Al-Qaeda with woke, sorry. But the, the, the whole woke culture is actually getting mainstream oh. people in, in opposition to Trump. So that's what the problem is. If you want to get rid of woke culture, get rid of Trump. I think I missed a question about communism above. Maybe it was retracted. Um, uh, but let, Oh, no, it's not retracted. I have to go back up and find it. But let's read Chopin's com uh, question here, and then I'll go back up to that comment. So Chopin's comment is uh, to Ali, or it's to me. Being of Indian descent, what does, uh, what does he think about the plea in the Supreme Court to remove socialist and secular from the preamble of the Indian constitution. <clears throat> so those are two very different things. You know, socialism is a political ideology. Um, secularism is not really a political ideology. Secularism is just a, a, an overall concept that separates religion from state. And secularism is the tradition of India. So India is has a large Hindu population, as you know, but it also has the second largest or the third largest Muslim population in the world. And it has a tradition of everybody being able to live together, Hindus, Muslims, Christians, Sikhs, um, you know, atheists, agnostics, everybody has been able to live in India together. It truly is a, 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 a sort of a model uh, pluralistic society where everybody gets along, which is an ideal I think everybody should aspire to. So, you know, when these nationalists and the Hindutva sort of um, Hindu supremacist elements come in and they say that, no, we have to get rid of secularism from it. They're, they're not, they're not getting, I think one of the 
oppositions to it was that uh, Indian citizens, you know, should not be forced to be secular. That's a completely bullshit interpretation of it because secularism doesn't apply to individuals. Secularism is a system that basically says the state is going to be separate from religion, which means that everybody, secularism is the only system, the only system that guarantees religious freedom for everybody. Everybody can practice any religion they want to. It's just not involved in the affairs of the state. So that I think should stay. Uh, socialists, if they're talking about social safety nets, things like you know, um, healthcare for all, education for all, that, that's a different thing. But I agree that they could potentially reword it. But um, secularism should definitely stay. All right, this is. So I have a, I, I'm gonna go, yeah. Yeah, he's saying, I love you, but I don't agree on your stance on communism. I condemn Stalin and Mao, but the ideology itself is not harmful if it never preaches to kill millions of people, unlike the Nazi that teaches hate. Ah, okay. Can I, can I, can I actually, I don't, I think actually the true evil of communism is mostly from the non, non-violent part of communism than the violent. F technically, Marx also incited, um, called people to rise up against uh, the bourgeoisie and like to topple like he was a revolutionary he did call out for he did encourage people to uh, to topple the system right so you could argue be argued that it does call out for violence right but even if that wasn't there um more the co communism has killed e even even with mao and stalin uh, and all the millions of people that they killed which is way more than um I guess we said it. I guess we're gonna say it anyways. The Hitler ever killed? Um, God damn it! I can't. Anyways, but, but even even though they, uh, if we remove that, uh, the number of pe people communism killed because of hunger and starvation is way more than the number of people communist communism killed from violence. So the violence, the violence of communism, of at least in your words, the Stalin of Mao is more than Hitler. But the number of people who died because of the poverty that communism causes is even outdoes what Stalin and Mao did combined. Um, so yeah, I mean, people do not get do not get are not that interested in people starving to death uh, as much as they are interested in looking at the number of, of violent death. Violent death sometimes seems more evil to people. Which is bizarre to me because starvation is a lot more painful than having somebody shoot you in the head. Um, I think it's you know that tragedy of people going dying from hunger is dismissed uh, often as like yeah whatever it's just it's not violent which I never understand. But that's my opinion. I think uh, even if communism was not violent, it's still more dangerous than many other ideas out there. Yeah. You agree? So I think, I, yeah, I think that communism theory. So I, I actually like. You know, I know this this big, you know, thing against Marxism everywhere. But um, I, I think that Marx was a sort of a well-intentioned guy, and I. I oh yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think he was one of the greatest minds, right, in the last century. Yes, really I agree was. with that. Like if you have Karl Marx, you have Sigmund Freud, you have Einstein. I mean, some of these people, you don't have to agree with everything that they said, but. For their time, what they did was absolutely revolutionary, and there were a lot of good ideas that we got out of it that we still use to get today, and that are used in in right. these societies as well. You always get something from from everything. The only thing is, in history, throughout history, we've seen that it doesn't work. 
Uh, you know, communism, just the ideology tends to go against human nature. It gives way too much. It uh, sort of claims to give power, you know, distributed equally, but it doesn't end up that way. It just ends up being very, so, very authoritarian and, and horrible. I studied Marx in, uh, in college. And when I was, before I studied finance and economics, right? Yeah. Um, and when I was studying Marx, I was like, man, this guy is a fucking genius. Like the way he thinks about everything and I feel like you, yeah, and I, you read it and you don't understand it. And then the teacher explains it to you and you're like mind blown every time that you, you understand what he's trying to say, right? And then I was like, this is amazing. This guy was like a greatest mind of his time. And then you go study finance and economics. And then I realized like, Okay, but data shows that he was wrong about everything, right? And I think, like, then yeah. I understood, like, based on my education, that was in um, sociology class. And then in finance and economics, we weren't dealing with people just coming up with ideas, armchair sitting and thinking about things and writing it down. In finance and economics, we were dealing with real numbers and what actually what the data actually shows right yeah, and and not only did that show me that he was wrong about almost everything it also showed me how important it is to realize the difference between theorizing and thinking what works and, what, what works and then eventually like what looking at data and really like how much more important that is right? that's what it comes to and i you know and i i do want to say one thing like people who are communists and i do get their point they have a very different idea of rights. This idea of you know that on in the in the capitalist system you have like individual liberty, free markets, you know, free speech, free expression. Those are your fundamental rights. And and but they also you know communists think of their human rights as you know economic opportunity for all, housing for all, you know, education for all. Everybody has a right to healthcare, and and they do those things. So it's just two different. It is actually two different views on rights. But the way the communism and actually the way it actually ends up in practice is it just ends up being very, very totalitarian authoritarianism, authoritarian, and it just does not work time and time again. It just does not work in practice. So what Armin's saying about theorizing is absolutely correct. Uh, Uday is saying, uh, did you guys already talk about the murder right in the courtroom yesterday in Pakistan? Yeah, we did. Case? Yes, we did. did. So well, he's saying once again they're supporting a murderer like uh, the the one who kills uh, Salman Tasir. I want to right now, uh, for those of you who haven't heard our interview with Shan Tasir, Shan Tasir is the son of uh, the eldest son of Salman Tasir, the governor who was killed. So do check that out. He's been on a previous episode. We should probably bring him back to talk about this as well. Um, uh, so I can't pronounce his name. Khan Min Gin is saying, uh, what do you think about people in the West adoring Rumi? Do you think his teaching has value worth consideration? I know Armin's opinion. Let's see what Ali thinks. Hey, I don't think you know my opinion. Yeah, Do I don't either. It... Okay, no, I mean, I, I like poetry, even if it's, um, I mean, it does, I mean, okay, there's two ways to treat these things. If you want to treat them as, again, I look at Rumi um, as the same way you, you look at the Quran or the Bible uh, it's it's okay to be, you know, drown yourself in the mysticism and the, and the beauty and the words and the poetry and the imagination, as long as you understand that you're just, you know, you're you're 
dealing with fantasy, you know, you know, Rumi is beautiful to read, even if it's horseshit. You can, in, I mean, you can enjoy it. Mysticism as a whole is bullshit. Um, but I, when I, for example, watch Game of Thrones and I see, um, you know, people online coming up with the whole theory of how the spells works and who the gods are actually are, and they're building a religion behind every every single fantasy that it exists. Like that's interesting. Then I think we could do that with the real world. Like the like the myth, the, this all these, these mystics and the Sufis and stuff. To me, understanding why they thought the way they did and what they believed in is so much fun. And especially when it comes in a poetic, fun-to-read uh, format, it's just that it shouldn't be taken seriously as anything that is real. Um, you could take Hayam as something that's uh, somebody um, who was dealing with actual real skepticism, and uh, but that's another poet. Uh, anyways, yeah. that's my I, view. My yeah, my view is it's, it's the same as yours actually. I mean, this is a problem we're we're agreeing on a lot of these things. Yeah. I, I really like Rumi. Um, yeah. I know that and there are a lot of people who are religious. Who are, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Poetry is different. Poetry is not a, um, it's one of those things you can interpret in a certain way. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in the way that Rumi thought about things. Um, it's not a wisdom, lot of his poetry. Yeah, it, was, it was good. There's, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, like, he wasn't overtly, in a lot of his poetry, he wasn't overtly religious or anything like that either. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Francis Collins. Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, who is, uh, you know, he's a believing Christian, but he was, he's also one of the most brilliant physicians um, who is alive today. He was actually Christopher Hitchens' personal doctor in his, the last, his, his last few days, even though he's, he's sort of like a more uh, sort of a, a believing Christian, and Hitchens was the opposite. So, um, you know, it depends on the, the level that you're connecting with these people on. Nusantara rising is saying thoughts on the mass reconversion of Amazigh to Catholicism, Berber Christianity, Berber traditional faith as a rejection of Arab colonialism. Um, so I'm assuming this has to do with the Berber in the in in Morocco or in some of the. I, I think there's a bunch of northern African countries. I don't know that much about it, so I don't know about this reconversion thing either. Um, mm. As a rejection of Arab colonialism. I, I, a lot of times when people want to, you know, uh, push back against a certain kind of colonialism, they tend to adopt another one. Uh, you see this with, uh, well, I can speak for the, the Islamic world. What happens is a lot of them are very against Western imperialism and Western colonialism. So they're like, no, we're going to go back to Islam. You see this in Pakistan all the time. They don't realize that Islam was also, you know, the product of a colonial, it was imperialism. It was the, the Arab invasion and conquest of uh, the Indian subcontinent, and you know, they, they, the Islamic Empire actually stretched from Spain all the way to you know East Asia, so th that was also a form of imperialism. So you're just trading one form of imperialism for another. Um, and I mean, we saw that we saw what happened with Iran, um, for example. They tried to use the same tactic as a way they adopted Shia Islam as a way to fight against Arab colonialism, right? So. Shia Islam, which only became um, came in power first in Egypt when Iran was still Sunni, uh, but late, many years later, 
um, because of the Safava dynasty and because of trying to be independent and unique from the Arabs, uh, Shia Islam grew in Iran and was used, and actually Shia Islam was used multiple times by Iranians to separate themselves from the Arabs, but it was done most successfully with, with the Safavid dynasty. Uh, so if you think that that was a motto, I mean, if you consider that as a weapon against Arab colonialism, uh, it turned out, it turned into its own, you know, um, the Persian Empire, and then eventually what we have today, uh, and a, a government, a Shia uh, em, empire building government. So it could backfire and could become even more ugly. If you use, don't use ugly um, ideas to fight against other ugly ideas. You know, the best way to do that is true. I mean, that's why what we're doing here is, uh, again, um, a secular jihadist for Muslim enlightenment, because we think that those are the ideas that you. Uh, that are they give you the best uh, bang for your buck and with very limited uh, negative side effects to to fight back against it yeah um but here let's go to this one all right Lars. yeah this is i think this is gonna be more yours because i actually haven't read the book so al-ghazali's book was called this is from waris rafiq he's saying al-ghazali's book was called the incoherence of the philosophers it was one of the yeah. best critiques of Aristotelian, Aristotelian philosophy ever written. You well, I mean, that's it? just a claim. No, I don't. I mean, if you read Ghazali, he's constantly against logic and reason and like focusing on, you know, direct connection to God. So I don't know what your, what's, where is this coming from? But I guess that's your opinion and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So from Ishes. Tagagi, God, you guys come up with some amazing usernames here. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is the problem with non-totalitarian religions such as Buddhism, Jainism, Hinduism, or other Eastern uh, philosophies? I guess okay, other Eastern philosophies. Yeah, they're all garbage. They all need to die. <laughs> He's saying, what do you think is the problem with them? Oh, what do you think? It's it's based on uh, make claims without evidence. That's uh, it. Has a, yeah, that's all you need to know. That's it. That's basically yeah. there's you know one of the best quotes you're ever gonna hear, and I don't know if Voltaire actually said this or not. Was that you know those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities, and this is the problem. The problem is the process. Okay, so it's not about what you believe in the end and whether those beliefs are harmless. Like if someone tells you you shouldn't. Don't you shouldn't kill bugs. Don't kill bugs like Jainism. No, you shouldn't kill bugs because you know this is something that God doesn't want you to do, or you know, this superpower out there, it's it's a very bad, and this is what we've been given. These are the instructions, and you have no evidence that you got those instructions. Then you know, ultimately, whatever instructions you get from this God are it is eventually you're gonna be susceptible to that. Right? The the problem is the process. The process is that you should look for evidence and reason for why you should do or should not do certain things. And all of these philosophies supersede that. So, you know, once you, even if you have a harmless belief, right, but you are getting it, you're believing in that harmless belief because someone told you that, someone with authority told you to do it, then you are not going to develop your uh, skills of critical thinking. You're not going to develop your skills of scientific inquiry. And eventually what's going to happen is when a demagogue does come in and start slowly, step by step, leading you towards committing those atrocities, like, like you see in The Handmaid's Tale, it always starts very small, starts very harmless, starts seems like, well, you know, what's wrong with this? And then it 
it, it snowballs and the dominoes start falling. And when you move towards that, you're not going to be equipped with the processes of critical thinking to be able to push back. And you're going to fall for it. And this is what we saw in, you know, everywhere from Nazi Germany with millions of people falling for the demagogy. Keep saying crowd. that word so that we, do, we completely. Oh, like, okay, yeah. I was going to say something very that. profound, but your answer was so long that I completely forgot what I was going to say. It was also correct. It was very profound. Yes, it was oh, very like, correct. Anyway, go ahead. And I think but, you agree with me. So. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I also want to say that when I said this is not what I was going to say, but I want to make it clear that when I say they all need to die, um, I'm not talking about the people. Please, please don't come after me. Like somebody is going to say, like, um, actually, nobody says that unless I say that about Islam. You know, when I say Christianity needs to die, nobody thinks I'm saying that Christians need to die. But yeah. whenever I say, nobody thinks that. But for some reason, when I say Islam needs to die. Then there's a whole bunch of people that come after me, like army wants to kill Muslims. Why is it? Why is it that? Why is it that people don't get confused when I say Christianity needs to die? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, um, no yeah. So yeah, I think I was gonna say something about these religions. Very. Uh, I, I'm gonna write it down next time. Okay. Write it down next time. Yeah. Soraya is saying, why don't you guys ever talk on Ambedkar? Hindus are misrepresenting him as Hindu, even though he left Hinduism and rewrote Buddhism in his own words with better research. Have you guys read him? So um, so we had we recently had uh, Jaren Jove, you know, who's this sort of like uh, Hindu atheist <laughs> guy who was also a big fan of um, uh, the BJP and, and the Modi government in India. And you know, pro sort of Hindu nationalism, and he thought that protesting against the Citizenship Amendment Act is anti-Hindu bigotry. So he had a completely different idea of what bigotry is compared to us. And he claimed, and we got crap for that. We got criticized for this, Armin. Actually, quite um, by a lot of people who listened to that. He he claimed that the Hindutva movement is based on the ideas of Ambedkar, B. R. Ambedkar, right? Whereas, and, and I had said that, you know, they're based on Savarkar. Savarkar was a guy who said, well, you know, Hitler was actually okay. Uh, those, that kind of guy. And uh, I was right. We were right. It is based on Savarkar, but we didn't really push back on, on him enough because I don't think we knew about it. But so here's the thing. Uh, Hindus may be rep misrepresenting him. Uh, Ambedkar was uh, basically, he was this guy. He was, I, I think he was Buddhist. Um, and he did a, a he he campaigned against the untouchables, a lower the lowest caste. Actually, they're not even part of the whole caste system, and they're so low. Um, they, they were badly discriminated against in in India. Uh, so he he did that. So I, I, I so I actually don't know um, too much about it. Otherwise, I would have pushed back on on uh, Jaren as well. Uh, but. Um, no, I haven't. So the question is, have you have you guys read him? No, I I, I haven't really read him or uh, about him in detail. I just know who he is and some of the basics. But uh, I also know that you know whatever he believed, I think that he probably would be absolutely um, incensed and completely outraged by this whole Hindutva nationalist sort of this Hindutva, almost a jihadist kind of movement. That is happening in India right now. The sort of fetish for Hindu nationalism. So I think he'd have a huge problem with it today. Okay, next question. Uh, Waris is asking: In Pakistan, the Ahle Hadith, uh, aka the Salafis, are generally more open-minded compared to the Diobandi and Barelvi Sufis, who make up ninety-five percent of the Sunnis uh, in the country. 
Okay, that was I, not a question. That's a uh, yeah. That's, it's actually not even true. I I don't oh. know. I don't know what you're talking about. Like the the majority of people in in Pakistan, what are the Barelvis? I mean, they're not particularly like the Salafis are insane. Um, they yeah, are. actually, I don't know. You that's ableist of you to say, Ali. You're gonna the people are gonna come at you. Anyways, yeah. Um, Baris is asking another question. He's saying, "What do you think of the I was joking. television series uh, Arta Gruel that has?" has had in the Muslim world oh. and has become the most popular TV series in the history of many Muslim majority nations. I haven't watched it. I've read a few yeah. headlines about it. I don't know that much about it. I know it's some Turkish show that has, uh, I, I don't know that, that venerates and yeah. glorifies sort of, um, so this is what I, this is what I think. Do you know about this? Yeah. I mean, a okay, Turkey as a that. whole is doing what Iran has been doing for the past 40 years. Right. Mm. Um, you know, Turkey is okay. So this is so interesting because this is the whole. You know, I think a lot of people in the West should be familiar with. You know the. So okay, so like in Iran, what, what we have is the, a lot of people look at the past and the glory of the Persian Empire, right? And the problem Iran, for example, has is that Ali, can you reduce my volume a little bit? Uh, the problem that Iran has is that going back, uh, a lot of people. Uh, want to go back to the glorious um, days that Iran was an empire. Uh, and the, the problem is that at that time, Iran was not Islamic, right? So this whole obsession with the romanticizing uh, how great the past was is in contradiction with pushing for Islam, right? Because what actually became an imp empire uh, after Islam was not the was the Islamic, the Arab empire, which dominated over the Persians, right? Um, so I Iran, which is now an Islamic theocracy, cannot really push for the glory days of Islam being an empire because it was the time that Arabs ruled over the Persians, right? Um, so there's this constant conflict between the nationalists and the religious people. The religious people are seen by a lot of nationalists, again, this is a simplification of what's happening, as people who are supporting the foreign invaders, that are supporting a foreign culture that was inferior to the Persian culture, right? Um, and um, so this is a really difficult to, to for the Islamic, um, for the religious people to win the hearts and minds of Iranian people. This was always a struggle. Um, now Iran is trying to tap into the national, uh, uh, to the people's, uh, you know, even after Iran, uh, Khomeini hated like tapping into that, uh, but they had to use nationalism a little bit uh, during Iran-Iraq war. And now they're tapping into it a lot more by playing, it's very interesting because Iran is realizing that the, the sense of um, nationalism is too strong in Iran to not use. And they're now using it. They're using less Islamic names and narratives, and they're bringing out some of the pre-Islamic um, or non-Islamic heroes of the past and using that in their narrative instead of using all the Shia imams constantly, which is a very interesting switch in the Islamic Republic of Iran's narratives, right? But Turkey now, that Turkey is going Islamic, uh, more and more Islamic, and it wants to bring that sense of nationalism, they don't have the problem that Iran has because Iran, Turkey's glory days was the Ottoman Empire. So if they want to tap into both nationalism and Islamism, it's one of the same. So the Ottoman Empire 
was both the, the best time that Turkey had was both an Islamic empire and, you know, it's, a, it's the time that the nation was the strongest that it has ever been. So they could yeah. use the, na- the nationalist narrative and the Islamic narrative together. And this is what th- this is part what you're describing is part of what they're doing. So, yeah. There's a, there's a question right above this one, Armin, from Manasi oh. Vedia, 854. What did you think of Indian matchmaking? <laughs> so I have to say, I just finished the show yesterday and I love it. And I love it not because I support a lot of stuff that happens. You know, Armin, do you know about the show? No, but no. I it's heard about, about arranged it, but... marriage. So it's on Netflix. What they've done is they've taken um, uh, this, uh, there's this woman who's a matchmaker from Mumbai and she essentially sets up people. Uh, it's like a real life, you know, what they used to do before Tinder and everything like that. And it's, it just looks into the arranged marriage situation, how families get together, how the parents set each other up. A long time ago, before I got married, like when I was in my 20s, I, I did a couple of things in that route where I met people through the family for arranged situations. Uh, a lot of it was because of, and it, it was great because what happened is your parents would set it up. The parents would meet. They'd make sure everybody's interested. So you didn't really have to ask the girl out. And then you'd go out a few times. You'd meet, you'd talk, you'd see if it worked out. And if it didn't work out, you didn't have to dump them. You just told your parents and then the parents would talk about it. And your, your parents would dump them for you. Um, so you just enjoyed the middle part. And you didn't have to do the difficult part of asking the person out and then dumping them or, or whatever it was. So it was just uh, it was funny but there's a lot of crap that came out about the culture about you know people this fetish for fair skin and uh things like that that people are very upset about but they shouldn't be because that is a reality of it everything that you see in that is actually quite realistic um narn an is asking i'm late did anyone mention calling that the calling pakistan the theocratic democracy is incorrect as it has resulted in military dictatorship several times that's a very good point. So one of the problems with Pakistan is that anytime there has been a democratic process, you've never really had, I think, the very first time you had a uh, peaceful transition of power, a civilian government to another civilian government was when, you know, the, the Pakistan People's Party transferred to the Nawashu, his party, the PML, and then um, that was fairly recent, just several years ago. Otherwise, you had a democratic system, democratically elected government, the president has a power to dissolve the entire government and often the uh, you know the military dictators Ayub Khan did it Zial Haq did it and then uh, Musharraf did it all three of them were military dictators who overthrew the government um, another country that for those who are not familiar another country who's similar that has a similar kind of system is Egypt Egypt has you know even if you have an elected democracy uh, the military is a completely separate thing that has a, a, a tremendous amount of power and they can really kind of bring down, they can take over that anytime is, they want That to. is why I said I'm not going to use an ex- uh, the examples because a lot of, of them are fake dem- fake democracies, you know. Uh, they're not real democracies. Anyways, let's go. Um, our yeah. Middle Eastern Muslims Mike more Spencer. open-minded. Mm. Go ahead. Are Middle Eastern Muslims more open-minded than South Asian Muslims? Uh, I have so no idea. There is actually... Huh? Sorry, Armin? I, mean, I don't think we can tell unless there is like a poll... Or something. I mean, well, I mean, unless you have the data. Well, the question is problematic itself, right? Because Middle Eastern Muslims include Saudi Muslims, who are Salafi and who are you know, who's extremely, extremely ultra conservative. And then you also have the Muslims in in Lebanon. You also have Muslims in um, you know Syria who are very, very secular, right? They have right. they have Wait. bars and they have. Wait, what did you say? Sectors. Saudi Arabia and Syria, right? Okay. 
Saudi Arabia, like in Lebanon, if you go to Beirut, it's a completely, yeah. completely different system. It's but he's asking very... average. He wants to average. I mean, but you're but right. You can't, can't, you can't mix that together. Yeah, you can't. Saudi Arabia is a small budget. The largest Arab country is Egypt, and in Egypt, you're going to find very, very fundamentalist Muslims who go into mosques all the time. You're also going to find people, you know, going out for drinks and partying in clubs and things like that. It's it's just even yeah. within that country of 80 million people, it is just vastly, vastly uh, different. Yeah, it's so a weird way of grouping people together and comparing them. Yeah, there's no such thing as a Middle Eastern Muslim. Um, South Asian Muslim, you know, very similar. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of intra in diversity in it. But one thing I will say is that, you know, South Asian Muslims, like Pakistani and Indian Muslims, are probably have, have more co in common with uh, the... Indians of the subcontinent than they do with, say, Arab Muslims. Uh, so a lot of this is cultural as well. It's not just it's not just a religious aspect. Um, I want to answer this one. Yeah, I'll read it out. Why, Safiq? Why are the Islamist parties so much better organized compared to the secular parties in the Muslim world? Yep, great question. Well, because I think Islam is a much more powerful and useful meme. It's so effective at organizing and mobilizing and brainwashing people. Like, if you want to mobilize people and brainwash them, imagine if you had to work with like a building your own dogma or cult. Um, or somebody coming up with a franchise that, like, listen, this has been a tried and tested model that has worked many, many times. It has, you get the highest return on your investment. Um, and, you know, like, it, 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 it has, it stands the test of time. This is like the, you know, Darwinism for the memes, right? And Islam and Christianity are very, very powerful memes that they, so they, that they become, became world religion, world religions. Because they have the narratives, the stories that would be, you know, um, the emotional appeal um, that makes them so useful and so powerful. There's, for example, uh, when in Shia Islam, for example, um, it just works so well. The stories that you could use and the narratives that you could use when you're the underdog and you need to make people feel, uh, give them the narratives that they need to feel like they're fighting against them powerful enemy uh, that needs to be crushed they have like other hussein and karbala and when they're in power they also have the narratives you know to to be to be on the side of the army of the mahdi like it's just all there like you don't have to you know it's basically a build it yourself uh at, build it at home dogma approach that you just take and you just apply it and it just works right um it's kind of like the difference between trying to open your own restaurant and try to figure out everything from beginning uh, and you don't know how to do it and you learn you're reading books and like watching YouTube videos online and and or just opening a McDonald's franchise and they just give you everything and just tell you this is exactly how you do things and you don't need to advertise because you have all the branding set up for you and people recognize you. It's all just there and you just need to change your colors and people will like, oh yeah, I know what this is. And you just fall in line. That's why it's so effective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, whenever you have something powerful like a, a religion, especially like the Islamic religion, mm -hmm. you are going to be able to organize people along it because all the all the other things you have are too factioned, but this is a common denominator for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um Waris Rafiq is saying. Uh, why don't you guys ever talk about completely secular Muslim-majority countries like Bosnia, Albania, Kosovo, Azerbaijan, and Kazakhstan? That's a really good question. I think you're right. So I will tell you that this is something that we haven't done, and we should talk. Um, we should 
we should actually do a, at least an episode on this and have somebody come and, and speak about it as well. Um, it's interesting, Central Asia has a, has a large sort of Ismaili uh, Muslim population, and they tend to be uh, very, very secular, um, even though they are religious, um, they have a certain faith system. So it, it would be kind of uh, interesting to talk about that mm -hmm. as well, and also talk about Bosnia and Albania, and maybe have somebody who can speak about it. If you have any suggestions on who we can bring on uh, to discuss that, because uh, it's one of the places that we're not very familiar with most muslims but there needs to be a demand for it for us to make a show of it about it as well like oh, well, I mean, if, if our audience doesn't you know i mean so, yeah. on the other hand like for instance like you know we have our next guest uh, we're going to have a uh, a specialist so he's actually a human rights activist and attorney in washington dc who comes from the uyghur community in china so we're going to talk about that genocide that's happening there now, this is also something a lot of people don't know about, but it's a good way to sort of introduce. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, that's very important. I mean, I'm, by the way, the eager Muslim thing, finally people are talking about it at, at a larger scale. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about it, and people are like, oh, I mean, this is not a competition about who started first. No, this is a fucking competition, you motherfuckers. If, if anybody wants to take credit for talking about it, like, this should be a competition, okay? If people that have not been speaking about this as long as we have uh, should be called out and like, what the fuck, where the fuck have you been, okay? I think, like, it's okay to turn this into, like, a, a dick measuring contest. I don't mind. If you, it doesn't matter if it's petty or not, okay? Because this yeah. is, like, you know, yeah, this is something that, I wish more people were paying attention to it much, much, much earlier. Like this is, anyways. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode. So, who, who are we having? Uh, we're having Yuri Turkel. So it's actually Melissa Chen uh, helped us get in touch with. Oh him. yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, so he's an attorney and he's a human rights activist. He works in Washington D.C. So he is. Uh, but what and, changed and that people are now like? Why is it blowing up now? Why are finally people talking about it? Because There's I want to see. I, huh? I think that there's some videos that came out of them being rounded up that were very, very similar to the kind of things that happened in the Holocaust, and people are realizing that those were there. Those were already there. But I, there's one that kind of went viral. The other thing is, I saw. I think the it was one that next to the trains that are recent ones, right? Yeah, the, that's the other thing, Nawaz. Uh, Majid Nawaz actually went on hunger strike, and I know I, I know he messaged a lot of people, including I mean I think he probably messaged you, he messaged me as well to share. That he was going on hunger strike to um, bring attention to the Uyghurs, but it became it blew up a little bit before that. Like I don't know, I think it's that video that you mentioned that went viral. Yeah, um, but the reason why I want to know why it went viral is because this finally got the attention that well, it still doesn't get the attention that it deserves, but it got more, it got astronomically more attention in the past month. Than we, than we were waiting like we were waiting for this for the past like couple of years right yeah, uh, but the yemen but the yemen situation i know why the yemen situation is not getting attention okay um because here's the thing ali things get attention only when it makes someone's political agenda work okay so i think the reason why this is now getting um some uh, some you know more attention is yeah. not because it's not because of the Uyghur muslims who are being prosecuted i think it's because of the anti-china narratives are growing this yes. is because more people are want it's in their agenda to be anti-china so this is a good excuse to be anti-china the reason why 
the Yemeni situation is still not getting any attention is because there's no political agenda yet that will serve anyone's interests because nobody cares about the Yemenis right now. But it needs to serve someone's interests. Right now, the only... Yeah, nobody... Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it's, uh, you know, there was a... Uh, the, the Uyghur Human Rights Bill in the U.S. was actually passed and signed by Trump. And, yeah. you know... The, this is an anti-China anti thing. This is yeah. an anti-China thing more than it's a pro-Uyghur Muslim thing. In the God House of Representatives in the U.S., it was passed 413 to 1. So, like that's a bit, and then uh, the Senate also passed it recently, um, and it was sponsored by Marco Rubio, again, you know, Republican, former presidential candidate. So there is a, but Marco Rubio, to be fair, uh, even though I disagree with him about perfect, pretty much anything, has been very, very strong and very vocal about his opposition to the Saudis and what China's doing in terms of their human rights abuses. Who? Marco Rubio. Yeah, okay. Um, so he's been really yeah. good, especially he's spoken up about the Rife Badawi. Bernie issue. Sanders was also very consistent on this. Bernie Sanders was the main yeah, loudest one when it comes to Yemen. Um, here's another here's another thing. I think, for example, if the same crime was being done by Saudi Arabia, the same people in the United States that are calling out China right now would not have been calling out Saudi Arabia, but the anti-Islam people who are not calling out China right now would have been calling Saudi Arabia right now. I would just switch. Like this is what this is how you know that people don't like when you see that people when pe people call out human rights abuses much in line with who their political enemies are, then to me that suggests that this is not about saving human lives, you know? So if you want to know actually who is fighting for human lives, you have to you have to look at the people who are consistently defending uh, you know, oppression of people, whether or not the people who are being oppressed uh, are in line uh, politically with them or not, or, and whether or not the people who are doing opp the oppressing are in line with them politically or, or ideologically or not. That's right. Yeah. So okay. here's uh, we. There was a critique of what I said. Yeah. I want to respond yeah. to this. So Narn Anna is saying, Armin is wrong. Just because something happened in a certain way in Europe at a certain time doesn't mean that the same will happen in other countries. Also, mm -hmm. Europe was not one country, but a set of competing countries. So two things here, can I respond to them separately? Uh, the, thing, the great thing about the Enlightenment values is that uh, we have a lot more data right now to show uh, how it works and if it works and how it grows. It's, um, and... Actually, you could get this book, Enlightenment Now. goes over the data for you a lot uh, by Stephen Pinker. But Amazing book. Yes. But another thing is that it wasn't. it's not just Europe. These, the same ideas when they were um, – when they became popular in, I don't know, Japan. Um, I mean, you could compare South Korea with North Korea. You could compare Hong Kong with China. Um, you know, these are ideas that – whether in Europe or outside of Europe, when they become the norm and when they become popular, they just work. It's interesting because actually the people who came up with these ideas, they themselves um, had a different reason for why these ideas work. They were like, oh, it's, they use the words like gifted to you by nature or by God or that kind of horse crap. But these days we'd have a lot of data to back it up to, to say that actually they work. And these are, and you know, and the, and the way that you actually uh, spread them also is consistent with what we are saying. Uh, the second part of this, uh, what Narn is saying, he say uh, he or she is saying, 
Also, Europe was not one country, but a set of com uh, competing countries. I don't know what is that in response to, because we never suggested that Europe is not a country. In fact, we were talking about Muslim countries as well. Um, so, is you know, we weren't comparing Europe as to one country. We were comparing Europe to many countries. So, I don't know what that is in response to. Um, all right, let's go... Yeah, it was here. Moritz Kohler, 906. There we go. What do you think of the Friday for Future movement? And as far as you know, does it happen in the Muslim world too? Uh, the Friday for Future movement, for those who don't know, is uh, the on Fridays, uh, students, like school students, um, get together and demonstrate. Uh, they take some time off from school to demonstrate for uh, climate change and for they want to transition to renewable energy from fossil fuels and, you know, just more awareness about climate change. Um, I support it, I fully support it. Um, this is the thing that was started by Greta Thunberg. Um, and yeah, a lot of people have problems with her, whatever it is, most people don't because overall that larger goal of what they're doing, this is the generation that is going to be affected by climate change. Um, and climate change is an emergency, it is going to happen. It's a little hard to harder to appreciate because it's not happening in front of our eyes. Um, but you're already seeing effects of it, and you know it's a, they're taking responsibility. They're standing up and doing it, and I, I fully support it. Armin, I don't know what your view is. I mean, well, the second part of the question: uh, Does it happen in the Muslim world? It really, again, the Muslim world is like many different countries. Yeah, um, they're not very much the same. You know, it does uh, happen. I just don't know how. It doesn't happen in Iran, I think. In I, I'm not sure, but in Iran, there be the government is treating environmental activists like spies and terrorists. Do you know about that? They're killing them. Yeah, it's stupid. They're, yeah, I think that they're accusing environmental activists as being actually like Western agents using environmental issues to bring in propaganda and like coming up and spreading corruption. So like there was like this doctor in Iran who was trying to there's this environmental activist in Iran who was trying to like save a species of cheetahs I think and he got killed in prison like it was it's insane um it was Iranian Canadian I think I yeah yeah uh, what is uh, by the way Suha is also reminding everybody to like this video and also subscribe to our channel thank you so much Suha it's very kind of you um Carl saying Karl Marx diagnosed very well what is wrong with capitalism. His cure was wrong. I don't think his, yeah. di his diagnosis was right as well. But I mean, I have my problems with capitalism, even though it's the best model we have right now. Um, okay, well, you're blocked. Narn, you're yeah, I think Narn, uh, Narn, I don't know if you emailed us and said you're still blocked from commenting on the YouTube channel. I don't know why There's that probably happened. a good reason if you're blocked because people, I don't block people easily. It's very interesting because a lot of times people say, I mean, you're still on Facebook. You could be on Facebook and comment there. But a lot of times people say like, oh, you just don't like this agreement. That's why you blocked me. And then I go look. And like, yeah, no, it wasn't because he disagreed with us at all. I mean, a lot of people disagree with us, and they never, they never get blocked. It must, it must be something. You must have done something like I don't know, spamming yeah. or something very stupid. Yeah. So one, one thing that I think is true of both an Armin and I, I, I should say this to everybody, is that you know when people talk, there's a lot of people out there who block people on Twitter who block. The only reason I've ever blocked anybody or muted anybody is if they were spamming things or if they were taking over threads or something like that. But I've right. never, ever, if you look at my block list on Twitter, I don't have a single person I've blocked. 
I've had to mute conversations, you know, when people reply all and do that. I don't have a single person that I've ever blocked. Now, if somebody was harassing me or something, you know, I know there's a lot of people do. And I get that. But we never, ever, ever will block you. Well, I mean, personally, I started blocking people on Twitter at some point because of the, I was my notification was getting so noisy yeah. um, with crap. And I tried quieting it down with blocking. Spam, uh, right? It's like people. Yeah, start but I mean. I mean, it's people that just tagged me in things like constantly, and I was like, every time I went on Twitter, I was like, "What the hell am I look even looking at?" Right? Um, yeah. So I tried, you know, mass blocking. Maybe I'll go back and unblock everybody. One one day, I was just like went crazy with it a bit. So maybe yeah, I'll yeah. undo that. But, no, but I, I want to get this example. I just like, want to be honest Jones. with people that I went, I did do that. That's yeah, cool. like yeah, the Jaren Jove was on this YouTube channel. And then on our YouTube channel, and he kept on spamming his comment after comment, saying the same oh, thing yeah. over and over again. Like, yes. oh, doomed is doomed. Islamic theocracy is going like, to take over. And you know, we're same like, same comment five times in a row. And I warned him. And you're like, what happened to my free speech? You guys, I thought you and guys had you on the show for two and a half hours. <laughs> and now you're doing because we're blocking on the thing. Anyway, so oh, yeah, wow. I think this third guy was on Atheist Republic as well. He comes there and he he posted like. I don't know if it's him or not, but he posted five times in a row. Why am I blocking secular jihadists? You're afraid of you're afraid of uh, people disagreeing with you. And it's the same comment five times in a row. I like, I can see right now in Atheist Republic why I blocked you on secular jihadists. Okay. Like you can see there are other people that are disagreeing with me here in live chat, and none, none of them are being blocked. Yeah, but if, uh, Narn, if you are, if we are mistaken, and if you were blocked by some glitch or something like that, you know, reach out to us, secularjihadists at gmail.com. And let us know, and then you know we'll see what we can do. Or become a patron. If you're a patron, you automatically become unblocked unless you do the same thing. Um, Jendubi oh, Noor is asking, uh, "What is your opinion on anarchism?" Ah, right. So here's my problem. Um, this definition keeps dancing around every time I criticize it. It just jumps all over the place, right? Every somebody comes in and tells me this is what anarchism is, and they're like, "Okay, this is why I don't like it." And then I talk to the next anarchist. They're like, "That's not anarchism. Why don't you go educate yourself?" I'm like, "Okay, you tell me what anarchism is." They're like, "Okay, this is what anarchism is." Like, "Okay, this is why I don't like anarchism." And the next anarchist comes out like, "Who told you that? Are you serious? Go read this. And this is anarchism, right?" So it really depends. So far, every definition of anarchism I didn't like. But the reason why I don't like them, it depends on what you mean by anarchism. It used to mean, I mean, okay, what do you think, Ali? Well, my view, when I think of anarchism, I think of this whole, um, you want to abolish government, you want to have sort of... Not anymore! Society. That's what I thought! Not so anymore, apparently! Based, well, a society based on public trust, a society based on, say, a community-based law enforcement, you know, there's an honor system, and, you know, this that whole idea, and I, I don't know, like there's a abolition of right. government that they usually hate people who want less government. So I think they, they realize how... With like people who are totalitarian, like a lot of the anarchists, you know, they seem to speak very in favor of uh, these uh, communism and all these sort of communist states and everything that do have totalitarian authoritarian No, systems. no, no. Those are the tank. The communists, the anarcho-communists are different from the tankies. Okay, okay, so well, you need, yeah, to, know, I, you need know. to know your version of communists. But here's what the... So you have anarcho-capitalists and you have the anarcho-communists. But it, they used to say that they don't want government. I think somebody, they finally got the memo on how ridiculous that is. So yes, it's now, yes. it, they, they now, it means something else. 
So if now apparently it's against hierarchy, uh, and then they realize how ridiculous, like you could have, oh, they're like, oh, there's a difference between government and a state. Okay, like, okay, we're just against hierarchy. We think every, there shouldn't be any hierarchy. And then they realize that- What kind of hierarchy? Okay, there's so many different okay, kinds of hierarchy. Okay, but then they realize that's also ridiculous. Uh -huh. So then they are saying now, oh, we're against unjustified hierarchy. I'm like, well, so is everyone else. <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> so, so is everyone else. Like, well, okay, so how? <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, so that's okay. But that's these things, I mean, they're they're kind of fun and they're kind of cool to talk about when you're in college, late night. You know, when you're really supposed to be studying for an exam, but you can't because your brain's so turned on. You're talking about these potential ideas and how the world can be. But then, you know, you grow up and then you end up getting a job. And you start, like, figuring out how to, you know, you, you work really hard for something and you want to earn your worth and then you find out that you're not and somebody else is getting it and then you feel that it's unfair and it's unjust and then you realize, you know, it's it's just one of those things. You, you'll grow out of it if you're an anarchist. Right. No, they won't, but it's way. Well, um, there are some really, really old people who are anarchists. I want to answer this one. Yeah. Do you guys think officers involved in George Floyd death We'll get a fair trial. Is that even possible at this point? So I think not, but that's not because of racism. The The way that the laws are in the United States, the cops get away with a lot of crap, whether or not the victim was black or white. Mm -hmm. Right? I think the way it's really hard in the United States to hold, to hold the cops accountable for what they do, um, but that is that is true whether or not the victim of the police brutality uh, was black or white. Right, and I, I completely agree with you. The biggest problem is um, the accountability, and I want to answer this too. And I want to say something really quickly uh, for for this. When officer, when it comes to officers getting away with it, it has a lot to do with qualified immunity. If you don't mm -hmm. know about that, look it up. I'm not going to go into the details. I think a lot of people know about what qualified immunity is, but officers do have an additional level of immunity uh, where they can get away with some particularly horrendous things that the rest of us can't uh, get away with. And the a lot of these protests that have happened, two big examples when uh, you know Trayvon Martin was killed by, and that wasn't a police shooting, but he was killed by George Zimmerman. Um, the, the protests that came out of it happened after George Zimmerman was acquitted, right? The protests after the Rodney King beating happened after, a year after the beating of Rodney King. It happened when the four officers involved in it were acquitted. So the outrage against a lot of this isn't really about the police, you know, necessarily killing people when they need to, when they feel like they have to, or whatever it is, according to their judgment, even though a lot of times it's terrible, obviously, like we saw with George Floyd. But the problem is when they get away with it. That's where a lot of the, at least a reasonable, you know, majority of protests are still coming from, and the ones that I agree with at least. Uh, next, disidentity. Disidentity is saying any personal book recommendations on comparative religions and history of religions. Under the shadow of the sword. Is that the name? That's it. it. That's what I was gonna say. In the shadow of the sword. In by the shadow Tom of Holland. the sword. Oh my god, I fell in love with that book so much. It is so, so good. Yeah. It's so good. And it'll kind of, it, and it has, it is like, I think, the sapiens of uh, comparative religion books, right? It'll tell you, um, uh, it has a very, it'll give you context on how Islam came out of, uh, you know, how it arose, uh, how it was born, 
its association with the plague that was going around and the plague that was actually bringing down two empires at the same time and how it rose from the ashes of it it's it's actually absolutely fascinating and it's a it's it, you'll look at everything in a way that you didn't look at it before and you know and i'm very one of my favorite episodes that we've done here on secular jihadist yes tom holland the author of in the shadow of the sword um so do look that up just look up secular jihadist tom holland uh, you're gonna love it i think we already responded to this we addressed this show uh, so it didn't like jaron jove he thinks a modern Hindutva follows on, but yeah, so yeah, this is, and you're right about yeah. this. We didn't push back on it. We talked about this earlier. Um, and yeah. Narn is saying Ambedkar played a major role in the creation of the Indian constitution. He wrote polemics against Hinduism and Islam. Yeah. I, I again, I don't know that much about him, uh, aside from the fact that he did have a conscience that went against the mainstream thinking at the time, you know, when he was, fighting for the rights of the Dalits and the untouchables. And, um, and so I, yeah, I think it's very, very different. Ambedkar. like when you, when you read about him, it's very different than what the Hindutva nationalists are trying to do right now. So I think Jaron Joe was completely wrong about that. And by the way, a lot of sort of a, a lot of people wrote to me and told me that he was completely wrong about it too. And I'm glad we did sort of push back and say, no, it was Safarkar, but you know. Okay. Can I tell you something else about that episode? So we, because of the COVID stuff, we lost a whole bunch of our uh, patrons um, and we couldn't hire um, somebody to do our episodes. So we, are, we're, we were a little bit behind uh, on releasing our episodes. Um, but, and then, so Jaren thought that we are not releasing his episode because we are embarrassed at how great he destroyed us. And he, like, he thinks like we, we, we're so embarrassed that we were not publishing that video. He was going around and crying about it. Like, oh my God, these guys are so dishonest. I like, I defeated them and they oh, never he? released up. What? Was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. oh he yeah, 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 he was. He yeah. Was, so he was doing that. <laughs> he was going around and like demanding that we release it. What are we afraid of? Uh, you guys like are afraid to be look so bad because apparently he thinks he did so well. And we didn't respond to him because we were just like, he's just being an idiot. And we were going to release the episode anyways, once we, once we fi finally managed to get the workload done. By the way, guys, thank you for being a patron so that we could actually hire uh, editors and social media people so we can actually pr produce more content. So thank you for that. Um, but then we released it and he ended up looking ridiculous. Like he thought like once we released it, people will realize how great he is and how stupid we are. And it was the complete opposite. So um, yeah. Yeah. In any case, um, so GVA, you guys did a good job pushing back on his claims with first principles alone. Right. Yeah, I think I, I actually think that that was a really good episode. It's one of the ones that I did go back and listen to. I don't always get a chance to go back and listen to him. Uh, mm -hmm. But I did hear from, like, I heard from a lot of, like, sort of uh, journalists, Indian journalists, um, who really liked it, um, who liked mm -hmm. the episode, uh, especially the conversation that we had about the CAA and NRC, because there are a lot of myths and confusion about it. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. And that's a testament to actually the Modi government who did it very, very cleverly, um, who brought this sort of like bigoted legislation out and did it in combination. So the individual parts of it can't be seen as bigoted, but when you put it together, it's clear. Uh, and I think that we we drove that point home really, really well when we pushed back against him. But mm. um, yeah, so I, I, but there were things that we missed. This one is, yeah. Oh, for Ali. 
You should learn to say not so good Germany. Say it quickly and we'll understand. Not so. Not so. Instead of... <laughs> so that we don't have to say it so that YouTube doesn't punish us. YouTube does it's punish like, like, like I Armin, I, I, you know, I do not see it that way. I do not see it that way. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it that way. All right. Um, Again, more Ambedkar. Uh, you know, GBA oh, yeah. saying check out his book, The Annihilation of the Curse of the of Cast. Right. So, so uh, again, reminding everybody to make sure they like and share the video and subscribe to our channel. Hit the bell button. Yes, so uh, hit the bell button. It's very important. Thank you, so okay. you're so kind. Um, so yeah, guys. I'm by the way, I don't know, if you if you don't sub, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, what's why is that? Like, some let us know because there's, it takes free. you like literally. It literally uh, takes you like one cry? second to do it. All right, next one. Okay, excuse me, kids crying in the back, but don't worry, they're being taken care of. I'm not neglecting anybody. The Muslim world does not seem to know much about 1001 Arabian Nights collection. Uh, do you think it's a good alternative to the Quran? <laughs> 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 okay, you know what? Maybe. No, but, I mean, like the, the 40 Thieves and the Genie? Open Sesame is like, how are you going to use that? I mean, anything is better than alternative you know to the Quran. This is a good point, though, because if you read Jack and the Beanstalk, you know Jack and the Beanstalk, the story, right? The kid who climbs. No, Jack I don't climbs know Jack and the Beanstalk. Are you seriously asking me that question? How? Yeah, I know, but if that was in the Bible, if I told you that was in the Bible, or the Cry Wolf story, the kid who cried wolf, that was in the Bible or the Quran, you can, you believe me. You're like, yeah, yeah, it probably is. Because it's no different than Solomon and the ants and you're not flying up Wait, the so how? So 1001 Arabian Nights, that would include like the 40 thieves, right? And the uh, genie. And there's so many other the magic carpet, but how would you like? How would the there needs to be moral lessons from there it? Are, there yeah. are, there are, there are. Some of the stories are amazing. Like there, these the mother goose fables and all the stuff. I mean, they sometimes have better moral lessons and lessons in the Quran. So I do see his point. I don't know if he's being facetious or not, but I do see the point. Okay, so let me tell you guys. When you say the echo is on me, if you hear my voice echoing, that means the problem is from the other people. Okay. Because oh, whoever is other people are, yeah. Because if if you're hearing my voice echo, that means the other person that my audio is going through their speaker to to their microphone. So the issue, it, the person that is having the echo is never the issue. N okay, never. Let's go. Uh, let me see questions. These are comments, not questions. Uh, comments, not questions. Here, Shabam. All right, so I'm saying, what do you think about people who say the religion Islam of a community shouldn't be criticized at all in places in India where they're often a target of violence? It's a good question. Who say that? Um, shouldn't be criticized at all in places where they are often what? Like for no, example, you're if making... you have ex-Muslim yeah. Uyghurs, right, in Xinjiang, where they're rounding up Muslims and putting them in concentration camps, and you're like, well, we want to talk about the problems with Islam. So I, I think you should. Okay, but the reason why you should is because a lot of the anti-Muslim bigotry comes from people who want, who see a problem with Islam, and they think that the only way to address them is to be against Muslims. So you have to provide an avenue for people yes. to see yes. that there is a way to, a channel for people to see that there is a way for them to address the problems that they have with Islam without being anti-Muslim bigots. So even for the sake of the Muslims who are a minority and being oppressed, even for their sake, you have to provide an, uh, an alternative to people that are 
to to the people that are using their anti-Islam narratives to be against Muslims. Yeah, that's uh, you nailed it. That's exactly what it is. So you should always talk about it. One of the things I notice is that uh, so I, my followers, a lot of my following, has to do with it's basically leftist liberal people. Um, and they are hearing this whole thing about anti-Islam. They're hearing everybody talking about, you know, that they're very concerned about the oppression of Muslims and the demonization of Muslims that is happening, for example, under the Trump administration. And then they see somebody like me who also opposes the demonization of Muslims happening in the Trump administration, but I'm also uh, very critical of Islam. And they see that both of those things can exist together. So a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know, people who do that, people who criticize these communities from within, right, especially like, you know, like people like us, we uh, give that criticism legitimacy and we show that it is completely compatible with also defending the rights of Muslims. I and mean, we're going to have an episode on the Uyghur genocide where, where we are going to, we're not going to talk about theological differences. We're not going to talk about, you know, why we believe differently. We are going to simply talk about this whole thing that there is a Holocaust happening in China right now against Muslims. And we are mm -hmm. absolutely opposed to it. And we're on the side of the Uyghurs on this. And, it's very important for people to know that we can do a show like this when we can criticize Islam and we have problems with it. We've left it and we despise it in a lot of ways, the ideology, but we will absolutely stand up uh, for the people um, who do practice it if they're being, you know, just horribly, horribly abused. Okay. So Pai is saying Daniel Hakikaju is hot. Okay. No, that's not the full sentence. He's saying Daniel Hakikaju is hot as a personality with Muslims right now. How about another interview? Yeah, let's do it. Can you reach out to him? Yeah, let's do that. Let's bring him on. It'll be fun. Because I think last time there's a lot of stuff he was saying. He's very good, right? Yeah, yeah. Armin has done another interview with him. You did that thing with Imam Tawhidi and Hakikachu, right? Yeah, yeah. In New York. So he's done it. And there's quite a long interview. I'm also reviewing some of his videos on Atheist Republic. Yeah. My, one regret I have about that interview is, well, one thing is that I think, you know, we just kind of let him talk and he said so much crazy shit that I, I just thought it was a good way to sort of expose uh, what he thought. Uh, but there is uh, one thing that he, when he brings up metaphysics, and this is a pet peeve of mine, because I think the concept of metaphysics is just this catch-all umbrella. It's a, it's just bullshit. It's completely, I, I don't, so, so I'd, I'd like to talk about that because, and he used it. As any time, you know, he's got caught and he didn't know what to say. He's like, well, what about the metaphysics of it all? And the metaphysics, that's just a complete bullshit excuse. Um, so Mr. Critic is saying. Marco. Uh, this Marco. Saying, so, huh? His name is Marco. We're Marco. Going. Okay. So uh, Marco is saying uh, this just in. So I'm not sure if this is true, but Trump said he wants to postpone the November elections because of the coronavirus dictatorship in the making or not what do you think wait did this actually happen can we verify no. it no no he's saying this just in so maybe it's happening maybe it's okay i'll oh, check our minute oh no okay no he's like he's saying like as if this was the news i don't think that would ever happen because that's why i'm being skeptical no he's i think he's just like acting like as if it was in what would we respond but i don't yeah. think that will ever happen yeah no i don't think that's going to happen uh if trump says that it's still not going to happen yeah. Uh, if he's going to postpone the November elections, he's, it's not going to happen. There's a good reason he wants to postpone the November elections is that uh, just forget about the national polls where obviously he's losing, but even state by state polls, his previous demographic. Oh, Marco is saying it was just in 15 minutes ago. So he's saying this is actually just happened as we're live. I don't know if, are you okay. guys sure? Like, can you send us a link or something? 
Yeah, I'm looking it up. I'll look it up right now. But let's just talk about it. If he's saying that, yeah, he is. So this well, happened an hour hell? ago. Wow. Donald but Trump's this won't happen. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Um, we, I mean, now, okay. Imagine if it does happen and people replay this and be like, ah, look at these idiots. <laughs> Every time we talk about there's something happening in the future, you have to add at the end of it, but it might, anything might happen just so that the finish, <laughs> just so it that people be, can, yeah. Yeah. If it is, then yes, it would be. Uh, if, if they do postpone the November elections because of the coronavirus, it's going to be, he just does not want, there is an alternative. Most people, well, not most, but many, many people vote early. They vote by mail-in ballots, right? So I think a very, very good chunk of the ballots that come in, come in early. So mail-in voting has been a big deal, and it's been used widely before. It can be used widely now. There will be some people that will go out, and they will vote in person. He just doesn't want the elections to happen because right now um, virtually everybody and everything is showing him losing. Uh, he also can't get a break. You know, there's three months. A lot of things can happen. Things can turn around the last week. But he cannot win a news cycle. Right now, he's unable to win a news cycle. Just yesterday, there was an interview. You know the Russia was paying bounties for American soldiers? to the Yeah, I know. Yeah, I saw that. Right? So they, they asked him about it on Axios, right? He was asked mm -hmm. about it. And uh, he just said, he's like, I haven't even brought that up with Putin. He never even talked to Putin. Like, Putin is paying money to the Taliban to kill American soldiers, her soldiers getting bounties. And it was the intelligence, he was briefed on it, Trump was briefed on it, it was on his desk. Everything, he's talked to Putin about six or seven times since March. Even if it's a rumor, even if it's not true, if it's in your intelligence briefing, you have to bring it up with Putin. He wouldn't do it. He's never given the guy a okay, but you're Okay, Ali, you're getting into a different question that what yeah, yeah. Marco was saying. Like, Oh, hold on. Can you actually read this tweet when I'll tell off my this beeping noise? Okay, so Donald Trump, uh, his tweet that you're talking about, he's saying, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, uh, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can vote properly, securely, and uh, until people can properly, securely, and safely vote. Um, this is bullshit. I mean, if you look at the uh, whole mail-in voting thing, I'm pretty sure Twitter's going to put a tag on this. Uh, mail-in voting is, uh, the, the evidence of fraud is almost nothing. Uh, he is setting it up because if he loses, then he can blame it on mail-in voting. That's what he wants to do. He's going to contest the election, which is actually going to be a pretty big shit show anyway in November when it happens. But um, yeah, I'd be surprised but, if he did I mean, what did, why do you think he's even said something like this? Why would he say something like this? Yeah. Because he thinks that uh, he's setting up the mail-in voting thing or the delay the election thing? Yeah, I mean, if it can't ever happen, why would you even tweet that? Uh, because he wants, uh, because then his followers would be like, yeah, delay it, delay it, delay it. And then when it doesn't happen, they'd be like, well, they didn't delay it. It wasn't that. So my voters couldn't come out because of coronavirus and mail-in voting was a fraud. So this whole election is rigged and I actually won, but they're making it seem like the other people won and this is a conspiracy. So he can say that at the end. That's why he's doing but, it. Yeah, so I think he knows that he's losing. Yeah. And he's just, okay, so this is my theory, okay? My theory is that he knows that this is not going to happen, okay? It's not about him trying to delay the election. It's the first part of the tweet that he's going to constantly repeat that this is going to be an inaccurate election. Um, 
and he's going to say that with the excuse that that he's trying to come up with a solution but he's not looking for a solution he just wants to keep repeating how inaccurate this is going to be so that when he does lose he could he could remind he already has repeated like a million goddamn times to his followers that I didn't actually lose this is what this was just the most inaccurate election of all time in history in the history of the world since the beginning of time there was no election this inaccurate this is what he's yeah. what i think yeah but it's very important to it's the last thing on this it's very important to understand what's going on here what's going on right now is that usually people can to turn things around the last minute and win like trump did in 2016 but it's very right now he doesn't have fox news on his site uh, on his side okay so fox news did probably the most devastating interview uh, of him uh, chris wallace did like a couple of weeks ago on a sunday it was the most devastating no network has has destroyed him yeah i saw that oh my god that was so bad right recently fox news so cut good bad for trump a, yeah, yeah cut away from a briefing a press briefing from the White House cut away because they didn't want to show a video that those guys were showing, right? In the briefing, so Fox News has turned against him. He hates that. He's now turning into like fringe things like OANN, like the, whatever that network is uh, that he talks about that nobody watches. Um, he cannot win a media news cycle. This is a big thing. They're major Republicans. His own senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway, her husband is leading one of the most devastating campaigns against him. Right? Her senior advisor's husband. Uh, the Lincoln Project, uh, that who will be all over this news as well, and they completely destroy him. Midas Touch is another group that's doing it. Uh, his fellow Republicans, all the people that he's fired, everybody. Uh, it's a very, very bad situation for him. So if he wins again, it will probably be a miracle, um, and it can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah, it can happen again. It's just very unlikely. But if he wins, don't be like, "Oh, you guys were wrong." We didn't say it's impossible. We just said it's unlikely. Okay. Yeah. Look at how unpredictable last six months were. Like, who knew everything was happening? Is happening. So anything Narn, can happen. Yeah, go ahead. Narn An is saying, uh, for once, Armin is right. A lot of this is about politics. However, just because it's about politics doesn't mean we shouldn't align ourselves towards human rights causes opportunistically. Okay. Um, yeah, what I agree with about? everything. This is about like focusing on human rights and I don't know, rather than religion, you know, you're attacking people's religion. I don't know. I'm not sure. But it's very interesting to me because I think if Narn is who I think he, he or she is, he has said the same line for once Armin is right 10 or 20 times. So I don't know if he understands what for once means. Um, but thank you. Uh, British Pakistani atheist is saying, here, go on. Okay, so British Pakistani atheist. Hey, British Pakistani atheist. So this Yay. is a time for you. We're getting everybody in the UK. We're getting all our friends in the yeah. UK to come on because usually we do this at night time. Yes. Then it's four in the morning for you guys. So we're so we should happy. do more of this. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So he's saying secondly, just Armin, did you become a vegan after your conversation with Alex O'Connor? No. In fact, I became more. Um, Con confident, not 100% confident, but I realize more why I should not be a vegan or why I don't want it, why I'm not a vegan. In fact, I used to think like, yes, I mean, I don't see the point of being a vegan, but now I'm like, oh, now I am, I have like a manifesto on why not to be a vegan. So, but what was this and who's Alex O'Connor? I actually want to hear this. Oh, the cosmic skeptic? You don't know Alex? 
Cosmic Skeptic? He's oh, Cosmic good. Skeptic that YouTube. No, I yeah, I haven't. I think I did see an interview of his that he did. I want to do like a manifesto on why I'm not a vegan. Maybe like at some point or make a video. Do you see their point? Do you see the vegans' point? Yeah, that's why I'm so dangerous because I see their point and I just and I because a lot of people, a lot of the people who are anti-vegan, they don't even understand what the vegans are saying. So none of the arguments against veganism works. I'm the I'm the most dangerous thing to veganism because I understand their points, <laughs> and I'm still against it. I so I, I yeah I actually am quite straight. I am not a vegan, and it's one of the things that I openly admit to my hypocrisy. I think that they're right. I think they're right about the factory farming. I think they're right about the horrible way in which we get dairy products and milk. Yep, but they're I right about I, those, huh? They're right about those. I, I know. So there is they a have the facts. The most of the uh, facts they have that right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether or not we should be vegan. Yeah, that's a problem. As, that's a different because there's a, there's a health issue. There's a, yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where we have you know our our humanity over evolution and over biology and it, it's. I don't, know. I don't know if you want me to respond because that's like it. Like I have like a list of really. You know, that was me, a two hour conversation. I'll watch your conversation with it, but we should. Talk but that was about like I. I mean, I had a debate with Alex, and I think I did very well on that. But it would be even better now. If I have a second one, it will be a lot more um, well thought out than the first one. Okay. Well, we should have an episode on this too because, I mean, with, uh, you know. Maybe you should start playing the devil's advocate one time and you could be the vegan. I mean, no, we should have a vegan on. Let's have a vegan on. Let's have a Muslim vegan or a secular ex-Muslim vegan on. I think that's a really Maybe good idea. Maybe we can have Alex on. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, let's do that. Can we, can we get him? Do you know him? Yeah, the only problem is that when we bring Alex on, I have a lot to say to him, and you're not going to let me. You're going to take. Yeah, well, we already had an episode with. Him. I'm going to have a lot to say too. That's just how it okay. is, Armin. That's how we have I know, I know, I know. That's okay. how it happens. Sure. Yeah. Okay, um, so next question, yeah. uh, MJ. Is great show talking? with Jaron Jove. Uh, you got... Sorry, what? No, go on. Sorry. So he's saying MJ is saying great show with Jaron Jove. You guys' response was head on. Just a suggestion. Next time, please get someone from India to help you with the facts. Jaren misinterpreted a lot of things and outright lied. Um, yeah, and I'm, and I'm hearing about this, and and I think we did push back on a lot of things, like his claims about the CAA and the NRC and the history of the Hindu Hindu movement. Obviously, we don't know everything about it, and he is able to sit down and say all kinds of things, and he can lie about things and and potentially get away with it um, because you know that's just not our area of expertise, but. Um, we had, did have an episode with one of my favorite writers, uh, Zubin Madon, uh, where we also talked about the Hindutva nationalism movement. Now, he is from a Zoroastrian, a Parsi background. He's also an atheist. Uh, he has okay. He has a problem with the jihadism. He has a problem with the Hindutva thing. But he Ali, also, we only have ten minutes, so let's do the rest of them yeah. really fast, okay? So it was uh, it was actually um, really good. You should see that episode. Armin, uh, how do you follow so many people on Twitter? Isn't your timeline flooded? I never check my timeline. I never check my timeline on Twitter. I never check my timeline on Facebook. Uh, I never check my timeline, the homepage on YouTube. I on Twitter, I only check the mentions. Never, I never wait, go through like the home and just check what's happening. And uh, on, on Facebook, also, I check my messenger and my notifications. On YouTube, for example, it always lands me on home, which I don't know why. I always go directly to my subscriptions. 
So the only reason why I follow people is so that they could message me if they need to. Um, so instead of having my mess my messages open to everybody, I keep following everybody that I think that they, they might want my messages to be open to them. And that's my way of selecting who can contact me. So, How many people do you follow, Armin? I don't know. I you don't I follow almost 5,000 people. But yeah, so do I. I follow like 3,000 something people. How many do I follow? Like 4,994. Yeah, so. almost 5,000. But I don't follow them to actually follow what they're tweeting. Yeah. But you don't have a verified account. I thought you did. Do you have a verified? You should be. No, but a no. Of followers. Yeah, but how do I get verified? Didn't Twitter close that? Oh, that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I got verified at the time when you couldn't apply. They just sort of verified me. I'm, yeah, I'm, because yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, I have fifty-one thousand followers, and I'm not verified. And this is why Sarah Hader is not follow, is not verified either, because she has a lot of followers, but she's not, you know, verified because well, they just closed that down. The verified thing is overrated, anyway. Yeah, there was. I think there was a time when you could apply for it, but uh, I I got verified before that, so I don't know anything about the application process. Yeah, I don't care. Anyway, funny. next question. Let's do that. Um, we already did this, Armin. Oh, we did? Yeah, we did. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Kiran Evans is saying, have either of you had sex with a demon recently? That's the only people. I am I am a, um, I'm a demonophile. It's the only people I ever have sex with is demons. How, do you, how can you tell if somebody is a demon or not? Yeah. Do you know where the, back, the background of this question, right, Armin? Yes, yes, I know. I, I already, I already posted like four memes about it on Facebook on Atheist Republic. The new doctor, like Trump's yeah, new favorite doctor. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Demon oh aliens, alien DNA for vaccines, and are you going to miss this time? This time, in yeah, our, I am. Yeah. How? Like, I do get sad. Was it worth? I think four years of inter all the human rights and people, you know, suffering and the damage to the planet. I think given the entertainment that we got, maybe it was worth the cause. Huh? No, I, I am, because I'm thinking, <laughs> when in history, I mean, this, it's just the story that this right. guy rejects the, one of the leading infectious disease specialists in the world, right, Anthony Fauci, and then he gets this other doctor uh, who's coming out and talking about how hydroxychloroquine is the way to go and you don't have to wear a mask, and then it turns out she's talking about being impregnated by demon sperm and <laughs> so the aliens this is like a four-year dream it's like i think by the end of the four years you're just gonna wake up like of course that was a dream none of this could it, have been real it is it's like a parallel reality it's like we're living in a <laughs> trance or i got i feel like i got transported into it and there's a normal world somewhere <laughs> i, I want to recommend something to, i want to recommend something to the audience there's a tv show called the good fight which is really great um, the good fight, the, the first episode of the season that they did this year, the 2020 season is an alternative reality where there's this lawyer, it's about a law firm and she wakes up and Hillary's president. And it's really funny because like everything is different. She's so happy. They're like, wow, the Trump thing never happened. It was all a bad dream. But then she goes into her office and turns out their client is Harvey Weinstein. And she has to defend him because the me too movement never happened. So it's, it's just kind of, it's really interesting about all of the good stuff that has come out of. Uh, the, the Trump administration thing as well. Disidentity is saying, in addition to GV, okay, how do you deal with or have you, oh, he's saying, well, okay. How do you deal or do you even have to deal with FOMO, the fear of missing out? It's the urge constantly being online yeah. not to miss big happenings, et cetera. Right. 
So you oh, replace wow. formal with opportunity with the idea of opportunity cost. Okay. So the the way to deal with formal, like the fear of missing out, is to know that you are always missing out. And that's a good thing because every time you're consuming anything, um, there's an opportunity cost associated with it that you're not consuming something else, right? So you have to actually enjoy missing out on certain content and information because you realize that by missing out the information, those information, you're consuming more important information. Do you understand? Like instead of that way, instead of fearing missing out, you enjoy missing out because every time there's a, some information that you didn't consume, you realize you missed it because you were we were consuming a, an information that was more important. Because every time you're learning something or every, or you're educating yourself about anything, it's not just a benefit from what something new that you're learning. There's a cost, there's an opportunity cost that every single minute that you're learning something, you're not learning something else. So it's not, you shouldn't just think about the benefits of what you're learning. You should think about, is this, is, you shouldn't think, is this a good thing to learn right now? You should always be asking yourself, is this the best thing for me to learn right now, right? And if you look at it that way, you're not, you don't fear missing out. You enjoy missing out because you're on an information diet, Okay, you're carefully choosing and selecting how to consume, how to spend your time on the most important information that you need. You are consciously missing out information on purpose because you're you're on, on you are on an information diet. Yeah. Does that, well, does I've that had like FOMO when it comes to Twitch because I didn't know what Twitch was and I still don't. <laughs> So this has obviously never been an issue for me. The, right. I see people. I have to. Yeah, you see people on Twitter a lot of times, guys, I have to, this is too much for me. I'm going to unplug from Twitter for a week because I need to get mentally healthy. Like, what are you doing on Twitter that you need to get away from it to be mentally healthy? And you've got, yeah. you go on there, you do your thing, you walk away. I mean, do you have family? Do you have friends? Do you go out anywhere? Do you do physical? Just do things like that. You, you don't, it, this is not about that. I absolutely love Twitter as I get on it from time to time. I'll retweet and see a bunch of shit and then I'll laugh and I'll, have fun with it. Maybe have a few serious interactions, and you go back to life. That's what you got to do. You There's don't need to no more help. questions. We're gonna end. The, we're gonna try to go through the questions that we have right now, but don't send us any more questions. Okay. Uh, so I'm here's another. Enjoyed this. I like this. Yeah. Um, so this yes. is like, isn't that disidentity saying? But isn't that the book about Islam? I was asking no. about comparative religions. Oh, no. in the shadow of the sword. In the shadow of the sword is about Islam, Zoroastrianism, and a bit Christianity and Judaism as well. But Zoroastrianism, there's a heavy, heavy focus on Zoroastrianism at the beginning. So it is when you said comparative religions, and we said under the shadow of the sword, it was we thought about that because it does have comparative religions. Yes, it. actually, the title of it is different in uh, the U.S. I think I think it's called the right. Fall of Global Empires. I I, I forgot it was something about. Yeah. The empires yeah but, it's not uh, just about islam there's a whole bunch of religions mixing and dancing with each other in a beautiful oh my god you know yeah in the uk orgy. I, I forgot where it's it was an orgy of religions in history yeah it actually has a lot about christianity too like the history of the roman empire and everything it's, you, I, you just highly highly recommend it it's just a yes. phenomenal book it's not just comparative it's a dance between them in real history you know what mm -hmm. i mean so it's comparing them while actually examining the real relationship they had with each other and the politics between them it doesn't get any better than this anyways okay. 
Yeah. So I was saying Ambedkar also has a book, Buddha and his Dhamma. Uh, I'll love it if you guys debunk that book if you can. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Um, and then Shubham is saying, I think we should still criticize Islam. That's just an argument someone made against me and I pushed back on him. Yeah, for, exactly for the reasons that we talked about. Great. I agree with you. Uh, MJ saying, Armin and Ali, what are your favorite Iranian movies which you highly recommend? Oh, my God. I, I, so I have one, and I have to ask you about it, these two of them. So for those of you who don't know, Iranian filmmakers are some of the best in the world. Iranian oh. films are some of the absolute best. So I don't know if you guys saw that. Was it Oscar Farhadi? Was that the name of uh, who did A Separation? It's a phenomenal mm. movie. Um, yeah, I like that. Could, yeah, I think it was nominated for a whole bunch of Academy Awards too. Uh, Armin, I don't know if you know about this, but there was a story about these two kids and they don't have enough money for shoes and their father buys them shoes. So they just use a brother and sister. One of the shoes gets lost uh, or pairs gets lost. So they share the shoes and they go barefoot half the day. So their father doesn't find out and he doesn't get them in trouble. It's just one of the, uh, I remember that movie to this day because it's so amazing. It's just a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful movie. I can't remember. Uh, one about is it just school, movies right? or TV series ex are accepted as well? No, no, no. Well, TV series, I guess I don't know too many TV series. Because I, I remember the, I remember as a uh, as a kid, I loved the TV series about Ali. Yeah. Ali, not this Ali, but like Ali, yeah. Ali Abna Butalab. There was a TV series just called Ali, and yeah. I really loved that as a kid. Like it was about Muhammad's, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, son-in-law, and co yes. cousin and son and many other things. And the his, movie I uh, was talking about, the first the way, Imam of the Shias. But go on. Yeah, the movie I was talking about is called Children of Heaven. Uh, so it says Bajai oh, Asman or something like that. Oh, is that about the blind one? No, it's a brother and sister, and they lose a pair of shoes. It was actually nominated. Oh, oh he got an Oscar yeah. nomination for Best Foreign yeah. Language Film in 1998. But it just really is a, just a beautiful movie. And it's written and directed by Majid Majidi. Yeah, I think I remember there was a movie, something in Iran, uh, something named after the Eye of God or something like that, but I forgot. That was yeah. an interesting movie. This one. But this yeah, one, one, just the TV bicycle. series... TV series called Ali. You know, there's Moavia in there. There was a story of like betrayal and love and sex. Not that much suggested sex, but not the actual sex because it's Iran, obviously. Flowers right? opening up. Yeah. Yeah. But no, right. but that was like for me as a kid, I, I re remember being obsessed with that TV series. Okay. Um, last question. Wait, last question? Really? Okay. How many do you want there's, to do? Two? I've got a little bit of time, so. Let's do three more questions. Okay, three. That's a good round number. It's not. It's not a round number. Three is a round. Five. Number. Five is a round number. But go on. No. One, two, three. All the whole numbers are round numbers, aren't they? Oh my God! Do round, I not know what round numbers are? You round it up you, to either. You round it up or round it down to zeros, fives, and tens. But I don't know. Go oh on. yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with whole numbers. Yeah. Oh my okay. God. There you go. It's okay. But hey, I, I'm going to find out what Twitch is now, so it'll be fine. The, um, <laughs> the uh, okay, so Alan Murad, the idea that metaphysics 
one of the three major branches of philosophy being BS is an utterly ignorant statement. Please go to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy or any kind of philosophy thing and give me a definition of metaphysics because all of them start with, well, we don't really know. It could be this. It could be this. Nobody <laughs> can find the term. It is, it, it's just, it, it, I'm sorry. It's just bullshit. I'm not the first one who said it. There's a lot of other philosophers. Yeah, who it said is bullshit. It. Yeah, there's a lot of physics. It's, it's also a lot of metaphysics. It also involves uh, claims just like this that you just say it without backing it up with any evidence. Yeah, no, matter, no nobody can agree on what it is. Like the questioning of yes, you're right. Ontology, you know, epistemology. There, these are branches of metaphysics. Of course, those are you know legitimate. All of those things are legitimate. They say the scientific method is a form of metaphysics. I think it's, so. Everything it, yeah. metaphysics that you like, right? It's just, but there's a whole bunch of bullshit. If, yeah. If you want to defend metaphysics, you just include the things that you think are good under that umbrella, and you exclude the things that are. Yeah, and I. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, okay, um, sure. Shivam, do do you think people who hate Trump but don't want to vote for Biden should vote, even though, even if they don't like it, just to get Trump out of office? Yes, of course. But yeah. You, listen, you've got two. I mean, when you have a parliamentary system, you can vote for who you like. If you have multiple parties, like you have here in Canada, like you have in other places, vote for whoever you like. Parliamentary democracy, you can vote your conscience, you can do that. But when you have a two-party system, the way it turns out, inevitably, is that often you have to vote because you're voting against someone as much as you're voting for somebody. So you may yeah, not I don't understand people who say, like, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Why the fuck not? It's a lesser evil. Like, yeah, what the hell? A, <laughs> right. It's a two-party system. And I happen to, by the way, I, I love Biden, so I don't think he's a yeah. lesser of two evils. evils. I actually really but like him. He's asking a question the people who don't like Biden. Right? Yes. You should um, still vote for Biden because Trump. Obviously. Yes. And one of the most important uh, Statistics, polling statistics that you're going to hear this year is that people who in 2016 who hated Hillary and Trump, like, oh, I hate both of them. I don't like either Hillary or Trump. They broke disproportionately for Trump and they voted for Trump because he was like the new guy. I could turn everything around. Um, this year, and this is a huge difference, people who hate Biden and Trump, they like, oh, I hate both of them. I hate Biden and Trump. They are breaking massively for Biden including a lot of Trump's old supporters, especially the older senior citizens, old white people. Uh, they're, okay. they're breaking for Biden. So that's a big difference. That probably has. Okay, so before I ask, before we show the last question, I just want to mention that the reason why you're not saying super, seeing super chats on our live stream is because YouTube decided to demonetize completely secular jihadists because of an episode that we had um, on fighting against white supremacy. Okay, so we had an episode against white supremacy, but it had so much discussion with a, ex, with a former white supremacist or white nationalist. I'm sure he wasn't clear on that. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't like white supremacy, saying what, um, the more accurate was that he's close to white supremacists, yeah. right? Leon Kortenberg, amazing yes. guy. We had him on the show to investigate why. How do people leave that ideology and to try to use it as a way to fight that and how one person left to tell us what is a good way to fight against these ideas? But it had so many white supremacy, like and the keywords and in the title and everything, that YouTube decided that oh, this was this channel is a, our channel is a white supremacist channel. And even when we appealed it, YouTube was like, No, you guys are clearly white supremacists, even though the the video that they decided that 
proves that we're white supremacists was completely designed to fight against white supremacy, which is amazing, okay? But that's why you're not seeing any super chats in the live chat. And that's why wherever you're listening this on, on Facebook, YouTube, on your favorite podcast app, please consider becoming a patron. Link is in the description. Um, and also do not, do not become a patron and do not support us if you're struggling financially. Sometimes I get messages from people that are saying, oh, times are tough, but they still want to support us and they're going to become a $1 a month, you know. And I know, like, no, like, don't do that at all. You can support us by sharing, liking, um, sharing our video, liking, and subscribing to our channel, YouTube channel. Uh, do not support us at all. Do not even think about it if you're struggling financially, okay? Anyways, let Right. Did you? Let, we got demonetized. I did not see that coming. <laughs> not see. I did not. See <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're gonna demonetize uh, it. Okay, let's go. Last question from British Pakistani atheist. This isn't a question, but thank you. But it's, you guys it's nice. Heroes. I know nuance doesn't help growth on YouTube, but keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Um, mm. Here's the question. Thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Michelle Abdullah is saying. Do you think the surge of conspiracy theorists will have a long-term global impact after COVID-19 is over? Um, I mean, co conspiracy theories have been with us always, and they keep growing when when th when global things happen. When major things happen, it would be surprising for you not to see conspiracy theories. But I don't think this would be... I don't think there's anything surprising about the surge of conspiracy theories, especially with the COVID stuff. Like, I think I would have been surprised if we had such a major global event happening and there wasn't a surge in conspiracy theories. I would be like, what? Like, that, that would be my expectation, right? But yeah. I think, it, I don't know, I don't think it will have a long-term global impact on after COVID-19. But, I, I mean, as opposed to what? They have always been, these conspiracy theories have always had a global impact been with us all the time you know and and they, they're very damaging obviously because they take attention and resources away and eyeballs away from serious solutions right that's yeah that's right i i actually think that it will have a long-term global impact um uh, but it's just conspiracy theorists in general and the worst example and one of the most tragic historically tragic examples of this was the case of andrew wakefield and he was the one who published the paper in The Lancet in 1998 showing a connection between vaccines and autism. That paper was retracted. Uh, he was discredited. It was completely debunked. Loads of studies came out showing that there's no association between vaccines and autism, yet the damage that he has done lives on. And it affects not only kids who are not being vaccinated because of this paranoia, but also uh, the other kids that have to associate with them and go to school with them. So. Um, they can have a lot of real life harm. And this is actually goes back full circle to Armin's point about why something like Sufism can be dangerous. Is that when you, even if you have something harmless, like, oh, don't vaccinate your kids, they'll get autism. It sounds so nice, but it's not based on evidence. So even if you take things that seem really nice, but they're bullshit and you don't have the processes to process that information and to, to, to critically debunk it, um, it, it, even harmless beliefs can be dangerous if they're not based on evidence. So, so, and this is obviously not a harmless belief. It's very, very dangerous. So um, last comment, Darko is saying, thanks for doing this at a friendlier time for us EU schmucks. 
I, I'm actually <laughs> off of work today, so I don't have. I'm I'm on uh, vacation day, so I was able to do this early in the morning. Yeah, let's do uh, more of this time for our EU followers. Yeah, we should do that. I think we'll kind of split it half half and do it. Yeah. Um, but for the all of you everywhere uh, on the, especially on the east coast of the U.S. and North America, um, we are going to be speaking to Nuri Turkel tomorrow. Well, for me, it would be tomorrow night. Oh yeah, send me the title and description so I can set it. So we'll do that now. I'll put that up right now. Okay. I'm so, gonna go though. I'm gonna do it when I wake up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, one of these days, I know for a fact that I, when I do go like this in one of these live streams, I'm going. This chair is gonna go like down, and I'm gonna flip. <laughs> it's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but it will happen. So funny about people falling over. I don't know why we find that funny. But every human being, when someone is just doing something like this and then they fall over, it's just yeah. so fucking funny. Yeah, I don't know. Why I can just, I can feel it every time I go like this. I get like, uh, uh, like it's happening, and one of these days it's gonna happen. The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you. Thank <laughs> you.